0: Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem's show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real-life scenarios with real live people.
1: Hi everybody, welcome to Coach Menachem Bernfeld here. Era of Pesach oh. right before Passover. Thank you for joining us. I know it's a very hectic time. I'm sure everybody here today had a very busy day and a lot of things uh, going on, and uh, we're all knocked out, including me. So um, we're here to get some physics, Even though we had a long day, we need physics before Pesach, and we gotta be, you know, we gotta be strong. Means we we're gonna take a big topic. Okay, tonight's share is share 139. Dr. David, share 139. Wow. Nice. This platform is growing, Hashem, and it keeps on growing every week. It's getting out there, and we always thank every week for the people that post it on the WhatsApp statuses. The email to the friends, they tell people about it. Let people know. Again, I said not every program may, might be for you. Some programs are different topics. If not, let, post it, let people know about it. You don't know who's dealing with what. So could be a tremendous physic and people for people, and uh, we're here to grow together. The Sea is a place to talk and to really get things clear. if Anybody wants to join the WhatsApp cats, you can whatsapp me at eight four eight five two five zero zero six six, eight four eight five two five zero zero six six every sunday i'll Sorry. leave the flyers with all the information and if you want to sign up to the emails you can go to menachemburle.com you can sign up every week to get the emails of the shiurim and the replays and everything that's happening in the back end of coach menachem all the people that are watching this uh, replay on youtube you can click on the like button like the share click, click on the subscribe button so you, every week when Manachem puts up the videos you get a ding get to watch him, Shem, monday two forty six a.m every monday sharp so please join <laughs> be part of it and let's grow Okay, we want to start off first thanking all the advertising sponsors who promote us online, the Lakewood School here in Lakewood, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyla Kaufman from JCN, we are always supporting us on all the Jewish digital platforms. OKClarity okay, is a play is cooperating with uh, with Coach Menachem. you okay, find professionals vetted extensive experience working in the Jewish community. You can even find Coach Menachem there. If you're in the market for a therapist, coach, anything like that. Please join, they have a status. Um, the number is 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night. Hello, where are you? For the last three years, every Sunday night at um 9.30 p.m. We've been doing uh, Eastern time, we've been doing these programs with different abundant therapists, the best of the best. And please join us every week. Um again, next program will be after Pesach. Hope, we're hoping April 16th, so right after Pesach, we're not sure, 100%. We have a bunch of big, big speakers coming on, Rabbi Jacobson Jacobson's coming on, or Rabbi Joey Haber, or Rabbi Yossi Zakatinsky. they're all coming over the next few weeks, so please join us. The topics are going to be very powerful topics. We didn't clarify exactly them yet, but we're working on it, but please join us after Pesach and everybody should have a great Pesach as well. Um, tonight's show, we have exclusive in the honor of having world famous Dr. David Lieberman. He's a best-selling author, author with many books. He speaks all over the place. The last time Dr. David Lieberman was on the program, it was, a very, it was a knockout program. I remember calling him after the program. He was like, I need to go to sleep. I can't <laughs> just knock me out. So whatever that was, that was just like, that was your first time. That was your first rodeo. So now you're coming prepared and you're going to be able to handle it. I'm sure you worked out today. You took a good to sleep. You ate breakfast. So you're ready to take on tonight. I'm going to share all the hundreds of people that will be here, the thousands of people that will listen to it later. Hopefully it will be a knockout cheer. It's very powerful. Okay. Tonight's cheer is 139. We're being the Chabad, to tell us, what does 139 have to do with tonight's topic? Shia 139, our
2: topic for tonight, is deflating our ego, cleaning out our inner Chometh. So I figured we could definitely deflate the number to 138. Chometh is actually Gematia 138, but in reality, there's a rule in Gematia
3: that you could have a which means you could always add one more. So even though it's Hametz
1: 138, with the Coyote, it is 139. So we should all be to deflate our ego, cleaning out our inner, inner comments to come with Pesach. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Anoyach. Thank you for uh, coming up with that. <laughs> okay, we're going to start off first with our host, Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Tell us what we're doing here tonight, what we're trying to talk about, what we're trying to accomplish here. Let's go.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to welcome everyone to another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. Baruch Hashem, we're up to number 139, and it's an honor to have Dr. David Liebman back, like we heard, and it is Erev Pesach, some of you feel it, and some of you maybe are going away and don't feel it, but wherever you are, it is, you know, hectic, a lot going on, and some of you made it, took some time off to sit here and to see how you can grow, get ready, to get to the Seder. And I've heard in the past, many say that anger is worse than Chometz. Now, I, I'm sure we're going to discuss a little bit tonight to understand what that means. There's something much deeper than Chometz, something inside of us. The Gemara says, like who's, Who is not letting us be? who we want to be. If we're in a good state, if we're in a good place, we're relaxed, we're happy with who we are, then we all want to do the right thing. We don't want to, you know, blow it up or hide. We all want to be there, but we all have something inside of us, whether it's called the ego, or we'll hear tonight, maybe it's a It doesn't let, it doesn't let us just be who we are. And that's something we have to figure out. Sometimes it's very deep. Uh, it's hard to see it on yourself. Maybe a good idea to ask somebody else, somebody you're close to, with uh, they can give you the right feedback. So that's the the Gemara says we all want to do the right thing, but there's something inside of us, this uh, Oyshavisa that Chomets inside of us that's holding us back from just being healthy, authentic self. I think there's a I think there was in the yeshiva in the Vardik they used to work for many years and uh a, a Muslim, and, he, and there was one guy who sat there for many years saying i've been ungarnished i've been i'm a nothing i'm a nothing and once man there was a new a new Talmud came in and right in the beginning he was starting off i've been a nothing and and that guy who was working with him for many years turned around and said excuse me you just arrived it takes time to be a nothing So I'm sure we'll hear much more what it means that deflating the ego, what is the ego, what is the chametz, walking around saying I'm a nothing is not what we're looking for, how to be a something on a healthy way, and it's a big success to have Dr. David Lieberman, and in Mitzvah we should be able to grow with the conversation in Mitzvah Shem.
1: a beautiful opening. Okay, let's just recap over here tonight the topic is deflate your ego and let your authentic self shine through clearing out of your inner comments this Pesach okay and uh, again a lot of people ask me why we're doing the share of Pesach I said even though today is a busy day and everybody's overworked we, we only physically go into Pesach so everybody who's here tonight coming for that we appreciate that so um I'm gonna read your bio Dr. David and please open it up okay Dr. David Lieberman Ph.D. is award-winning author and internationally recognized leader in the fields of human behavior, interpersonal relationships, blending the wisdom of the Torah with the cutting-edge research. Dr. Lieberman's writings and lectures captivate both scholars and laymen alike and are enjoyed by people of all levels from all backgrounds. His 13 books, which have translated into 28 languages and include two New York Times bestsellers, have sold millions of copies worldwide. Dr. Lieberman's works have been featured in hundreds of major publications and also appears as a frequent guest on the national media outlets. His latest book Mind Reader is also available at bookstores nationwide. You can go to the Torah anytime to draw hundreds of video lectures. Dr. David, thank you for joining us. The floor is yours. Please open it up.
2: Thank you, and thank you to everyone uh, for coming, joining us here at Pesach. It is an auspicious time and certainly a busy time. And I would like to do in the short time that we have together is just to begin by fleshing out exactly what the ego is. And when we talk about deflating the ego, getting rid of the chametz, exactly what that means. So first is that it's important to recognize that every Zman uh, resonates with its own spiritual energy. And during Pesach, we have an opportunity to deflate the ego in a way that we never can during any other time in the year. Now we talk about deflating the ego. What exactly is the ego? In a nutshell, the ego is a false self. It is the Yetzirah, the serpent incarnate. And here's how it works. Here's how it comes to life. And here's how we diminish it, and then from this we'll be able to unpack everything. The more self-esteem a person has, the more, and self-esteem refers to the degree to which a a person loves themselves and feels worthy of good things in life. That's what it means to have self-esteem. So the more self-esteem a person has, the smaller the ego. As the self-esteem decreases, as I love myself less, as I feel less worthy of love and connection, my ego now is going to engage to compensate for feelings of guilt, inferiority, shame, and so on, aspects of the self that I'm not willing to accept and acknowledge. So again, the small the ego, excuse me, the, the less self esteem I have, the bigger the ego. The more self esteem I have, the more I love myself, the smaller the ego. As my self esteem decreases like a seesaw, the ego is now going to expand. The job of the egos is to protect me, my insecurities, my feelings of inferiority and so on, and to project an image of what I'm not. So think of the ego as a projection machine, an image of how you want the world to see you. And the wider the gap, the bigger the chasm between who you really are and this image, the more draining it is. And we know this is true in our own lives. Anytime you try to put on a show Twist and contort, move away from what you know is right and responsible so that somebody will like you, will love you, accept you, give you a pat in the back, say, Yashakar, yeah, great job. Whenever you move away from what you know is right, from who you are, in order to accommodate someone else's perception so they'll see you in a certain way, it chips away at our self respect. So the more authentic we are, the more emotional energy we have, certainly. And the the shorter the distance between who we really are and this projection is. So ultimately, the key to dissolving, diluting, deflating the ego lies in increasing our self-esteem. The more we genuinely love ourselves, the smaller the ego. Now, how we go about doing that, we'll we'll get to Sham throughout the course. But what's interesting to understand is that as the ego engages, different personality types are going to unfold, which leads us to understanding a very big myth. uh, Or rather, uh, sort of um, dissolving that myth. And the idea that someone who has a big ego is very egocentric and if a person, uh, you know, comes across very meek and seemingly humble, they have a small ego. Not so fast. You can have high self-esteem and a small ego, right? That's the healthiest person. That's me. No, I'm kidding, right? That, that that's the healthiest person. And again, it's not an all-or-none. Uh, there, there are many uh, degrees here on the spectrum. But generally, the higher the self-esteem, the smaller the ego. That's the healthiest person. As self-esteem decreases, the ego engages. You have two different personality types will unfold. One is you can have the loud, obnoxious, arrogant type. It's the person who is literally egocentric, the world arrives around them, we know people like this, everything is about them. You can also though have low self-esteem and we call it dented ego. That is the perpetual people pleaser, the uh, the doormat mentality. That person also has low self-esteem and they do have an egocentricity. However, because of their personality, meaning they are not aggressive, they're not rough, they don't see confrontation, they seek to connect, they're more passive, they're going to come across as much more of a meek people pleaser and so on. And it's very easy to confuse this person with someone who has high self-esteem and is very humble. When in truth is, they're not really giving, which is what a humble person is able to do. A person like this allows themselves to be robbed. For example, to differentiate difference you're walking in a bad neighborhood, someone says, you know, can I have your watch? They're not really asking you a question. They're telling you what they want. So when we give out of feelings of guilt, or we feel like we can't assert ourselves, uh, then we're not really giving. We're giving. We're allowing ourselves to be robbed to assuage feelings of guilt inadequacy and shame and so on. We, we uh, on the surface, it looks like we're giving, but we're really not. Which is why, if you can't say no, you can't say yes. And this comes into play a lot with people pleasers who they want to see themselves a good person. They say, I'm being a tzaddik, I'm being today because I'm being a good person, I'm giving, giving, giving. When really they're telling themselves that narrative, they're allowing themselves to be taken advantage of because they don't feel like they can say no. But in truth is, again, if you can not say no, you can not say yes. So ultimately, the, a person with high self-esteem is going to have the smallest ego. And what happens is, is that as the ego diminishes, not only does life satisfaction increase, but our emotional health does. Because as Chazal explain, it's the ego, the Yetzirah, that blocks perspective. Just to take a step back here, the Medris explains that Adhemarishan could see from one end of the earth to the other. Before the Yetzirah became internalized, man's perception was unfettered. Once the Yetzirah becomes a part of us, we begin to see through this cloudy lens of I. The degree to which we're able to diminish the ego is a degree to which we're able to see reality more clearly and make no mistake the smaller the ego the wider our perspective and the more reality we let in and that it really is akin perspective is akin to our emotional health the ability to see accept and respond to our world so diminishing the ego deflating the eights of horror is not just simply about being more of an on of being more humble rather it goes to the entirety of our emotional health and relationships because it allows for us to see reality rather than a projection of our own wants and needs, which is what the ego does. So, Just to, to, to recap, and then I guess maybe we'll take some questions, and that is, again, the more self-esteem I have, the smaller the ego. As my, ego def- as my, as my self-esteem goes down, I like myself less. What seeps in is this thing called shame. And there's an asterisk goes there because there's two types of shame maybe we can unpack it later there's genuine shame authentic shame and there's what we call toxic shame authentic shame is i acted in a way that's beneath my madrega, beneath my spiritual level which shame by the way it's important to notice different from embarrassment embarrassment only exists in public because it's a function of the ego meaning for example you ever like you know try and walk through those doors with the electric eye but it doesn't work and you bump your nose Right, the first thing you do is you look around to see if anyone saw. If no one saw, then you go forward. Okay, fine, it's not embarrassing. Shame exists in public or in private only because we did something that we know is wrong. So again, it's embarrassment is a function of the ego, only exists in private. Excuse me, in public. Shame will exist regardless whether in public or in private. So what seeps in is shame, and that feeling of shame. Now the ego will engage to compensate. And based on our personality type, but really our temperament, childhood life experiences, and so on, it, our personality will fork in one of two directions. Where we, uh, that ego, will either manifest as a person who is forceful, full of bravado, seemingly uh, confident, and will run roughshod into your space to try and compensate, or they're going to seek connection. They don't want to make waves. They don't want to disappoint. They're a perpetual people pleaser that allows themselves to be a taken advantage of. Both type are equally injurious to our emotional health and by increasing our self-esteem we're able to deflate both types of the ego and that is it in a nutshell
1: okay beautiful dr david thank you for the understanding this what we're talking about tonight we have a lot to get in okay let's just clarify over here there's a few things i want to say number one um anybody wants a free copy of ebook um of real power which is dr david lieberman's book he wrote i actually read the whole book a great book um a free copy you could text um, the word JOIN, J I J O I N to 848-288-8185. Again, that's 848-288-8185. That's for the free ebook for real power. And David, if you have the books with you, you can pick them up. But Dr. David has a few books. Yeah. Anybody who asks a live question tonight, you can get a free book of real power. What's the other ones?
2: What is that called? Seek Peace and Pursue It. Peace and Pursue It. And then his newest one? new book, a great book called Mind Reader mind reader
1: okay so anybody wants to ask a live question you get those free books um if anybody wants the free books i'm just going to tell the information here because everybody's going to text me 500 times afterwards um you can email to um hold on hold on hold on where did i put it okay we'll give the information soon where to where to email with the question with your address what's the email address the email to ask a live question
2: for the for the book for the book yeah yeah, Sam Gold, Samgold S-A-M-G-O-L-D at live.com.
1: Okay, samgold at live.com. If anybody wants a live question, send the live question with your name and your address. So Dr. David can send it out. Okay. We're gonna take now a few polls and then we're gonna talk about the polls and then we're gonna get into um and then we're gonna get into some questions. Okay. Again, anybody wants to ask a live question, please text Usher over here. Um and we'll get to it. Okay, just hold on one second. Okay, here are the polls. Are you ready? Okay. Everybody sees it? Dave, you see the questions? Yep, got it. Okay, I'm going to read them. Everybody answer truthfully. It's anonymous. Four very good questions over here. It's really going to break it down. Number one How do you typically respond to criticism or feedback? How do you personally respond to criticism or feedback? A, you get defensive and argumentative. B, you shut down and withdraw. Well, C, you listen attentively and seek to understand. Now, which is the right answer? What do you do? Number two, which of the following behaviors do you most exhibit in social situations? Four options. Dominating conversations and talking about yourself. B, focusing on, on how others perceive you. C, showing the genuine interest in others and actively listening. Or D, avoid social situations altogether. Fourth, Third question. How do you typically respond to success or praise? Somebody gives you a, wow, you're amazing. How do you deal with that? You take all the credit and feel superior to others. Feel like an imposter and downplay your accomplishments. Or Number three, acknowledge your achievements and express gratitude. And the last question, the follow-up question to that is, how do you react when somebody disagrees with you? Number one, get defensive and argue your point aggressively. Number two, you shut down and refuse to engage in further discussion. Or number three, you listen to their perspective and try to find common ground. Four very, very good questions. Please answer them how you deal with it authentically. And then we will review it with Dr. David. And uh, we'll get into the live questions. Again, anybody wants to ask a live question, please text me at Usher Partners over here. I think he has like seven or 10 books. The first 10 questions live, we'll get a free book. It's a real book will be mailed to you. And anybody who wants to join and get a free ebook of, of, of real power, you, you text JOIN to 848-288-8185. That's 848-288-8185. we put it in the chat as well. Okay, five more seconds and then we're gonna share the results. Okay, right good. Okay, the first question. How do you typically respond to criticism or feedback? So you have a straight split across all three. Thirty-three percent say get defensive and argumentative. Thirty-four percent say shut down and withdraw. Thirty-three percent listen attentively and seek to understand. Dr. David, any comment oh, on this?
2: Yeah, sure, of course. So look, it's it, it, you know, anytime you're in a conversation with somebody and the person is is impolite or they're bombastic or caustic, whatever it is, you know, we have w- one choice. We're either going to focus in on that person's pain or on our pain. Now the ego tells us, focus in on my pain. This person's yelling at me, screaming at me and so on, but no one ever walked away from a conversation and said, I wish I would've gotten angrier. I would've been able to handle myself so much better. When a person's ego gets involved, they're going to do one of those two things. They're either gonna get defensive, defend themselves, right, because their ego doesn't wanna admit that it's wrong, that it made a mistake, or they're going to simply shut down and withdraw. And this goes to the two personality types. You can guess, sure, who is going to do what. Meaning, the aggressive person is going to get defensive and argumentative, whereas the people pleaser is likely to shut down and withdraw. Obviously, the most effective, which is a sign of higher self-esteem, is to listen and to understand. Which means then that I am open. I am willing to be vulnerable. Willing to risk the fact that I may be wrong. I may not be right. But in doing so, of course, I have the opportunity to connect and to grow. But as long as I'm busy protecting myself from projecting an image, not only am I not going to seek to understand this person because I'm busy defending myself, but I'll never grow because I'll never hear anyone else's perspective. I'm just going to hear sort of an echo chamber of my own wants and my own needs.
1: Beautiful. OK, let's go to number two. Interesting question. Which of the following behaviors do you most often exhibit in social situations? Only seven percent of the people say dominating conversation and talking about yourself. 30% focusing on how others perceive you, 51% show, showing genuine interest in others and actively listening, and 13% avoid social situations altogether.
2: Interesting. So look, it's half the people here, uh, which is probably pretty representative, are unable to focus in on the other person because of the ego, and the ego is going to do one of those three things: it'll either dominate the conversation, it'll focus on other people perceive us, or it'll avoid the situation altogether out of fear of failure, rejection, or disconnection. Uh, so, you know, you know, I, I, one of the things that I encourage people to do, particularly people who are shy of social anxiety, is when you're in a conversation with somebody, what we typically do is we engage in what's called self-enhancement. Um, acts meaning we try to get the other person to see how amazing we are and in doing so think they'll like us more rather have in mind the following and you'll have much better conversations have in mind i want to leave this conversation with this person feeling better about themselves and it's an amazing thing that happens is not only will this person feel better about themselves but they're going to like you more as a result than if you try to get them to know how great you are and something that I've heard many times repeated, and it's just so valuable. Imagine everyone you're talking to has a sign on the forehead that says, "Make me feel important, make me feel significant." Everybody wants to feel valued. Everyone wants to feel respected, heard, and validated. And when you talk to somebody, if you have in mind making that person feel good, you're going to have a fantastic conversation, and you're going to be able to uh, be much more impressive than you would otherwise trying to get them to like you.
1: Okay, amazing. Let's go to the third question. How do you typically respond to praise or success? Only 2% of the people say take all the credit and feel superior. 45% feel like an imposter and downplay their accomplishments, while 53% acknowledge your achievements and express gratitude. The mix over there.
2: Well, yeah, I, I think it was um, maybe Rev Salanter who said that uh, the hallmark of a person who's worked on their Midos is when they're moved by neither excessive praise or criticism, whatever the person hears. In other words, what somebody thinks of you is just that what somebody thinks about you. It really has nothing to do with you unless you make it about you. We see other people how we need to see them. So if somebody needs to dislike you, if somebody needs to criticize you, not only just what they say to you, but we treat other people based on how we feel about ourselves, because if you think about it, you give love, you give respect. If I don't love me, what do I have to give? If I don't respect me, what do I have to give? So very often, a person who is pejorative, condescending to us, uh, speaks meanly toward us, it's because that is how they need to see us. They need to cast us as a villain. They have their own narrative. It really has nothing to do with us. It's entirely about them and how they need to see the world, which by the way, research shows that the more, um, uh, the, the, the more positive you see other people, the, generally speaking, the better your emotional health is. The more negatively you see other people, generally speaking, the less emotionally healthy you are. Our ability to see the good in other people, to focus on the good, it reverberates back to a function, uh, not just how we see the world, but of our own emotional health.
1: Okay, let's go to the last poll over here. How do you react when someone disagrees with you? 23% of people say get defensive and argue your point aggressively. 30 percent of the people say shut down and refuse to engage in further discussion. listen to their perspective and try to find common ground.
2: Right, so this is very similar to the first question, how do you respond to criticism? Uh, And that's when somebody disagrees with you. Again, you have one of two choices. You can either be vulnerable and risk the possibility that you may be wrong, or you're going to just lash out and attack the person because you need to defend your fragile self-esteem, or you're going to cut, disconnect, because if I disconnect from you, I don't have to fear rejection. I don't have to fear disconnection because I'm unplugging to avoid that pain, which is why sometimes it comes up in marriage is that, you know, two people come together. And it's, it's funny how, you know, this works out. Sometimes you have one person who, when they feel hurt, they need to feel heard, meaning they're going to see connection and seek to understand while the other person's style, when they feel hurt is to disconnect so you have one person moving away and the other person coming after them and each one's needs are not satisfied the person who who disconnects just needs some time to be able to recharge and to rethink and to recoup while the other person uh feels very hurt by that disconnection and is going to continue to seek out to try to connect so unless those people uh, get on that same sort of communication wavelength they're going to find themselves Uh, in disagreements that spiral into something much less healthy, but once they learn each other's communication style, it becomes a game changer in dealing with disagreements.
1: Amazing, Dr. David. Okay, again, live question. Let's go first. Um, Okay, unmute. You're on.
0: Hi, Dr. Lieberman. Thank you for taking my question and being with us. Um, I actually read your book, Real Power, many years ago. Um, It was very insightful and helpful. Um, Throughout my experiences of what we're discussing tonight. There's something I wasn't able to pinpoint. Um, There is this idea of ego, like you mentioned, but there is this also idea that I heard that if you wanna have real self-esteem, you have to have a form of self, some sort of healthy self. And as much as I try to shift and get there, I don't know what it means. How would it feel to be there? How how do we actually differentiate Maybe both in a logical way and in a way of how one would feel between an egoistic self and the healthy self that one should have to live a healthy, balanced life.
2: Right, sure. Thank you. It's a beautiful question. And it's very often misunderstood. People talk about you got to have a healthy ego, you need a sense of self, and, and they're conflating the definitions. The self esteem and the ego are inversely related. The more self esteem you have, genuine love for yourself, you're nishama uh the small the ego as a person's feelings of self-worth diminish i feel valuable my ego is now going to engage when we do what's right and responsible every choice comes down to one of three individual a combination of choices either we do what's right we do what feels good or we do what looks good we do what's right, that's our conscience, our neshama, our soul. We do what feels good, that's the guf, the, the the physicality. Or we do what looks good, that's the yetzahar, the ego. Looks good, feels good, is good. So when we make a choice to do what is genuinely is good, we go with our neshama, our soul. In spite of what feels good, regardless of what looks good, that is the way we gain self-esteem, by being affected, <laughs> by rising above our nature. When we give into our base desires, We give into the physicality and excess, excess sleep, excess entertainment. Temporarily, it feels good. Afterwards, it simply chips away at our self-respect. And two, with the ego, anytime you buy something you can't afford, make a joke at someone else's expense, the twist and contort, and you move away from what's responsible, maybe you've got a choice between risking a little bit of embarrassment or a little bit of shame. Right now, as we said, stains the neshama while embarrassment is a function of the ego. It's fleeting, it comes and goes. So you do something that's a little bit embarrassing but it was the right thing to do you avoid that stain of shame and you feel great about yourself however if we're not able to rise above our nature and act responsibly we give into our ego we temporarily satisfy that desire but ultimately again it melts our self-respect because we like ourselves less so we gain self-esteem by the quality of our choices and at the end, the, the, the quality of our choices are going to determine the quality of our emotional health and the quality of our relationships, which why, again, Pesach is such an amazing opportunity because we have the ability to be able to deflate the ego in a way that we simply can't during the year, the rest of the year. Again, we can by start working on ourselves, but we have that, that, that the Zaman of Pesach allows for a, a quicker deflation of the ego than it does at any other time.
1: Amazing, Thank you. beautiful.
2: Okay, the next live
3: question. You're on. Hi. All right. My dilemma is, it says in Masiyas him, you know, nobody could harm, hurt, or help you without it being decreed. Yeah. So when pe- I'm having a lot of trouble right now with my some some of some of my older married sons that don't want to come for the holidays, don't answer my calls, um ignoring, uh, making excuses. I mean, I don't know how to, my, my frame of mind should be, this is what Hashem wants. This is a test. You know, uh, when I had a stillbirth, I was told, you know, your, your soul needed it. It's it's a kapara. Like how much of life is, like, should I say, well, maybe I need to be mavater Like with relationships, you just don't know I'm just having a hard time. Right. Should I let it go? Should I push? Should I turn myself inside out like a pretzel? Should I l- leave it alone? But yet you want to stay connected. Jason Blau always says, you know, you want to stay connected. You're the parent. How much do you reach out? How much do you let it go? I mean, listen, thank God I work full time. I have a, you know, I. I don't sit home. I would slit my fifth wrist if i did but i mean i i just don't know how to make sense out of with with yiddish kite you know knowing that hashem's in control he knows what he's doing this is my my path my journey through that hashem is putting me through or is it just their free choice to just not be respectful like they used to be before they got married i'm having a hard time with married kids with uh, and can you come It's No, you don't have enough room. You know, can I see the kids? No, I'm busy. I, how much do you push? How much do you say, let it be, let it go. I don't want to play games. It's your child. You love your child. You take a bullet for him in a second, but yet you're so hurt. So you're angry, but yet it's your child. So I don't know when to let go. I don't know, you know, I'm just confused. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to read a lot of books about, you know, Amun, I have, obviously I have all your books. Amun, I go to Jason Blau, Broken Ties. I mean, there's so many, so much support out there that you don't know how to right. make sense of it. I'm right. sorry, I'm talking so much
2: no you 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 did a really good job uh of- you can come on next week yeah yeah yeah, yeah so, so look So, sorry uh, our heart goes out to you can't imagine the 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 difficulty and, and there's there's a lot a lot to unfold here and there's this is one the has a question in terms of you know can something nothing happens without unless it's decreed uh, above that's true but what's important to recognize is we have to do our style meaning that just because something happens to us, doesn't mean that it had to happen. So we have to do as you may know, I wrote a book called How Free Will Works. And there are a couple of chapters that actually address this particular point, because it goes to the core of, you know, at what point does our Bihira intersect with hashgacha and the fact that something's decreed. So uh, I, I would encourage you to uh, recognize that obviously, this is difficult, meaning that Whenever a person is experiencing anything painful, it is bad advice to, to say, you know, forget about it, to minimize it, or certainly to invalidate it. This is painful, and to honor the fact that this is tough, you have a situation where your older children are, are not uh, so willing or able to come to you. Now the question is what you can do to optimize your effectiveness. So, and that's our really our job to focus on what we can do. So, for this, I, I might want to ask you a couple of pointed questions in terms of you know what their objection might be, why they wouldn't come. I always encourage people, you know, it, 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 there are a myriad of reasons to, as to why they might not want to come, and obviously you don't need to share them here. But just pulling back the lens, generally speaking, is I found that the the more hospitable, the more uh, enjoyable. experience is in a parent's home the more likely you're going to have adult children come and sometimes we uh aren't always mindful of how critical we can be or how dour or um how really just unpleasant the experience could be it may have worked fine when they were growing up in the house and okay but now if they're married maybe that their their spouse or their children their children uh aren't comfortable in this arena so again i just encourage you i don't know where who's doing what but the the responsibility on your part in terms of a stylist is to do whatever you can to optimize the environment and that's it and that's all you can do so that's all you can control is you can make the the environment that they're in as enjoyable and as pleasurable as possible so that i found is something that can be a, a deal maker or deal breaker and uh, for a lot of families. And secondly is ask them, quite frankly, what it is that they want. In other words, they may say, we need more space, we need more room, or we don't like it, that you know kid is starts late, whatever it is, see if you can accommodate them or see if you wanna accommodate them and that's it. But all of this, by the way, is predicated on a conversation, predicated on dialogue. So the real issue here is the relationship. It's not the fact they don't wanna come. What you wanna do is focus on the relationship. So I just, in broad strokes, again, I would encourage you, And I don't know if you're doing this or not doing this. You can tell me if maybe you are to avoid being as critical. uh, Avoid being critical. Period. Try to be as positive, certainly as warm, and make the atmosphere as enjoyable as possible. And ask them, specifically speaking, what it is that is keeping them from coming, and see if you can do your best to address it. They may be unreasonable. Maybe they don't recognize the full mitzvah of kibbutzav. I don't know. But if it's very important for you to have them there, then you'd wanna find out exactly what it is your objection is. Does that make sense? Beautiful, Dr. David. Yes,
1: excellent, excellent. Okay. Okay, let's go to the next live question. Um, On mute.
4: Hi. Hi. Hi, Dr. Lieberman. Uh, I heard you speak many years ago and, and your wise words have stuck with me. They were incredibly meaningful. And I just wanted to follow up um, kind of from the survey questions. And I'm wondering if you could share some best practice strategies to manage one's ego while also trying to impress someone throughout the dating process.
2: Oh. great question, very good. So it's like this: we have an obligation to put our best foot forward, right? That is nothing to do with the ego. Meaning that, um, you know, sometimes people go on, on a date, and you know, it's it's they they'll say if this person doesn't know the real me, then. I, they're not for me, so I'm gonna tell them about every medication I've been on, every therapy I've been through, every ex, Gonna let it all out there on date number one. If they and if they're still standing, then they're for me. That's like you know going on a job interview and the and you know in five minutes into the job interview saying just so you know I'm really not a, a morning guy and I'm gonna be sleeping late and coming in late. You know, forget about on you know Fridays. I'm out. And you want to put your best foot forward. So when we talk about the ego, we're talking about. Moving away from what's right and responsible in order to accommodate someone else's perception. That has nothing to do with letting your authentic self shine through. Let this person know how amazing you are, how terrific you are. All your positive, by all means, put them out there. You cross the line when you're when you are presenting an image that's either not true. Or you're twisting and contorting, comporting who you are so that somebody will like you. That's when, by the way, that arrogant sort of, you know, feeling comes through and we lose self-respect for ourselves. But it is letting your authentic uh, beauty and majesty and all the good that you are shine through. Let that come through. has nothing to do. You know, an un-of, a humble person is not somebody who doesn't recognize their traits and qualities. To the contrary. A, that's an egocentric person, by the way, because if they really recognize their greatness, they wouldn't need to tell everyone how great they are. They do it because they don't feel it themselves. A real honor recognizes their magnificence, right? And they are, they are okay displaying it. It has nothing to do with arrogance, nothing to do with, um, with bravado, nothing to do with false confidence, nothing to do with the ego. Again, let your authentic self shine through. As soon as you begin to twist who you are and um, do something or say something and be something that's not your authentic self, that's when you know you're crossing the line into the land of the ego. David, okay. beautiful.
1: I'm going to jump. I have a lot, a lot of questions. I want to jump to this question because maybe this is the other half of the question. The question is like this. I'm confident. i um, I am dating now and I think it's extremely important to marry someone with a high or healthy self-esteem. Is there a way to pick up on other people this very important trait? So this is the other, the flip version.
2: Sure, sure, it's a great question. And look, you know, there are a number of reflections of self-esteem. One of the things that I look for are is the person's relationships. Because very often we find that a person's self-esteem slash their emotional health, right? We said at the beginning, go hand in hand as do the quality of the relationships. People who generally have good relationships have higher, better emotional health. People who have less uh, quality relationships have less good emotional health. And uh, as actually was a psychiatrist, uh, I think, uh, Robert Glazer, who said, and I'm paraphrasing only loosely here, that in, is in 40 years of psychiatric practice, he's found that the people who are unhappy in life are the ones who are unable to get, a well, get along well with the people they want to get along well with. Now, we're all entitled to one or two people in our lives who we don't get along well with. That's okay. You know what, it, it, that, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where our, our, our Midos, you know, sandpaper for Mitos. that's okay. But if we have difficulty with everybody, then it's time to look in the mirror. So one reflection of self-esteem slash emotional health is the quality of a person's relationships. What are the, the relationships like with the people closest to them? Um, that's one. I look to see how they get along with people who they don't have to be nice to. How do they treat, uh, particularly on a date, the bus boy, the waiter, the cab driver, you know? Do, are, are they respectful to people who they don't need something from? Because ultimately, self-esteem is going to be a reflection of how I treat me and how I treat you, meaning that, going back to original model, I treat myself with respect and you with respect, that's high self-esteem. I treat myself with respect, you poorly, that's the arrogant, obnoxious mentality. Conversely, I treat myself poorly, I don't have self-respect, and I treat you well, that's the doormat mentality. That person may seem like an un-of on the surface, but if they're not willing, not able to invest in who they are and grow who they are, That unfortunately, even though it may look like a person with high self-esteem, it's really a person with a dented ego that doesn't feel worthy of love and connection. So they sell themselves out, they sell themselves short, they allow themselves to sort of be malleable, not because it's right, rather they have that deep fear of disconnection. So they are going to be as flexible as possible to avoid anyone saying, I don't want anything to do with you
0: the, those people that sell sell themselves shorts there are many people that believe it's true they really don't of believe course. they have anything yes. to sell
2: of of you you're, you're great, raising a great point coach menachem yes they do believe it's true um if they didn't they wouldn't do it and unfortunately that brings us into what we uh, alluded to before the idea about toxic shame so <clears throat> genuine shame is i've done something There's guilt and there's shame and there's toxic shame. Guilt is I've done something that was wrong. Okay, I'm a human being. Shame is my feeling that I'm less valuable because of it. I'm now less worthy because I did something that was wrong. Toxic shame is a gift from childhood that says I am not less because of something I've done. Rather, I am less because of how I was treated. I was treated poorly. Uh, Boundaries were crossed. I was held to standards... uh, levels of accountability and responsibility that weren't really mine. So I was made to feel less good, even though I didn't do something, but unfair burdens and obligations, and responsibilities were placed on me. So I was left feeling ashamed that I didn't measure up, Right? not because of what I'd done, again, because of what somebody else had done to me. So that's a feeling of toxic shame. So yes, your perpetual people pleaser is going to be filled with toxic shame not genuine shame because they may very well be a good person and they probably are they try and do the right thing uh however they've got this tape playing in their head that says i'm worthless i'm no good not because of their actions but rather of the actions of others toward them and many many
0: people are not aware
2: of of course not and just to 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 come full circle is that you know the egocentricity but, but children by definition are egocentric So when something happens in childhood, a child, a person is by nature going to assume it's their fault and responsibility. No seven-year-old is going to say, for example, wow, dad had a really hard day at work. He's going to scream at me, let off some steam, have a drink. It's fine. No, the child is going to say, what is so broken, bad, damaged, disgusting within me that is causing this behavior? Because as the egocentrists, uh, egocentric being, I have to assume that this behavior is a reflection of my worth. I am causing this because the world arouses around me. Children, by definition, are egocentric. They're supposed to be. Now we know adults like this as well. But when it happens to a child, they assume responsibility and blame because of that egocentricity.
0: So now the question is how do
2: we reverse that? Become aware of right. the stories. So welcome to the journey, unfortunately, uh, for a lot of people of ridding themselves. And what happens is if we confuse shame and toxic shame, a person will spend a lifetime in therapy trying to figure out how to be a better person when they're trying to erase a stain of shame that doesn't exist because it's toxic. It wasn't really, it was not really, it was nothing that they've done. So first, the intellectual awareness is so important to know that I don't have to feel less good about me because somebody wasn't able to treat me responsibly, wasn't able to treat me well, wasn't able to treat me with respect. And I share something with you that can be very, very freeing for someone who's suffering with this type of trauma. And that is that what happens is because of the egocentricity, we personalize everything. So if we're able to recognize that the treatment of this adult this parent this sibling whomever it was when i was a child had zero to do with me zero i'm able to no longer take it personally meaning i don't have to assume i'm at fault and when you really break it down even on the intellectual cognitive level it can be very freeing emotional
5: wow
1: okay dr david unbelievable okay next live question you're on
4: So um, exactly what you described was my question, the toxic shame, and if a person internalized that message because of that's what they heard and that's what they learned as a child, then so how do you deal with that person who always takes everything personally,
3: and how do you develop a healthy self-image? And, and you can know all the
4: information, but it's still. I can know that it's not me and that it's the other person, but still, there's every time a workaround, like a like an like an exercise.
2: Right. So that's, that's an excellent question, and th- there's a number of things you can do, quite frankly. And I don't mean to to short circuit the the trauma therapy process because there there is a, a protocol, and there are a number of very good ones and effective ones. Uh, Having said that, again, first reminding yourself constantly that how somebody treats you is a reflection in in today, today, what's valuable for unwind that tape. What happens is this, you recognize it intellectually, but you've got this old tape playing, or at least anyone over 40 knows what a tape is. You got this old, I don't even know what a modern day example would be, this old recording going on in your head saying I'm worth a sum to go and so on. So what you wanna do is, you know, again, there are a number of things to do in different models, but the olive base here is when you're any in any conversation, any confrontation, any situation with anyone, and they're treating you poorly, it's important to remind you in real time that this person's treatment of you has zero to do with you. That in and of itself is very valuable for unwinding the trauma because the more you allow for the, uh, the validity of this person's treatment to be a reflection of your self-worth, the more credence you're giving the past. So you undo the past, again, in part, it's just not always effective for everyone, but it's a very good uh, way to at least take, you know, a step forward, is in real time, in real space, to remind yourself how this person treats me has nothing to do with me. As we said before, you give love, you give respect. It is a reflection of their own self-worth, their own character, their own ability, their own capacity. So... Uh, their treatment of me has nothing to do with me. You're going to find your behavior, your interaction with this person changes. As it changes in real time, you're going to find that the hold that the previous trauma has for you will begin to diminish. A very good example, by the way, is as follows. You know, you see somebody in who is physically handicapped, they're in a wheelchair, they can't move, they can't walk, they can't play ball, whatever it is. You don't say that this person, you know, is doing this to you they're doing it because this is their capability or let's say you're walking along and somebody bangs into you you turn around and you see they're visually impaired they're blind they can't get by they didn't see you so you don't take it personally anymore ah this person is a cane they didn't see me it's about them it's not about me the more you remind yourself that someone else's treatment, again, of you in real time today, tomorrow, the next day, has nothing to do with you. Now, we have an obligation to look in the mirror, ask ourselves, am I doing anything that causes this person pain and so on? But if we take it personally and get upset and feel they're treating us this way because of a defect or deficiency within us, again, we reinforce the trauma. So the long answer to your very good short question is, one tool, one strategy to unwind from that trauma is in current interactions, remind yourself that how this person treating you has nothing to do with you. It's a reflection of their own self-esteem, their own their own self-worth, their own ability to give. Your interaction with them will be different. And again, it will help to unwind you from that previous trauma.
1: Okay, beautiful. Um, let's go, to the next live question,
6: hi, sir. I mean, Hi, um, seems like you've answered a lot of these questions already, um, but I was going, you know, somebody who grew up with a lot of criticism Uh, You know, so unfortunately it's still a problem, I have of being self-critical, but I have realized something that there is self-esteem and honest self-assessment. So I don't know how, you know, it it unfortunately can affect self-esteem. It's not even a question whether you're a bad person, but you you might be, you know, for example, I could be uh, klutzy, you know, but what if everyone's expected to be good dancers? You know what I'm saying? There's like a competitive world or something where you're comparing to everyone else. So it's hard, you know, the, the different, the distinctions I think become blurred or, really? you know I mean? I Are mean, you a good example of Pesach? It's always an obvious, I always feel like everyone cleans better than I do. Or what, you, you know, things that I count comparing. I don't, you know, so there's like that self-assessment and it can eat away at self-esteem, you know, I, you
2: Yeah. Know, yeah. Well, of it,
6: the, Yeah.
2: yeah. Let me ask you a question. Does any of your self-assessment produce a compassionate answer whereby you don't come out on top, but it's still okay?
6: Well, yes. I mean, certain things. Yeah. I I know there's always going to be someone better, a bit better cleaner, you know, but, but, but it's, it's just when you feel that, uh, yeah, I try, I go on my own yardstick.
2: Right. So so again, I, Right, yeah. you're asking a beautiful question, and and just from how you're wording and how you're saying it, it's it's clear you are you you know it, you know being self-critical is not about being self-aware. You know, self-awareness is the key to emotional health. Self-awareness is what leads to self-acceptance ultimately self-esteem so you know a person can't grow unless they're self-aware unless they begin to look at themselves but the key to looking yourselves at yourself is twofold it has to be done with compassion a person who looks at themselves and says i'm so dumb i can't believe i did this and trying to have an honest assessment with a voice that they wouldn't speak to their worst enemy with is not going to be productive that's not self-aware you're already starting out behind the eight ball it has to be done with self-compassion and secondly it has to be done with validation meaning that if you're looking at your first off the wrong call explains that envy rots the bones because if i'm busy comparing myself to somebody else trying to make somebody else i'll never optimize who i can be and what i can be so the idea about self comparison doesn't work it's self-growth it's being a better version of ourselves, not comparing ourselves to anyone else. We're not supposed to be looking at anyone else. We're supposed to be looking at what we can do ourselves. So when you speak to yourself, I would encourage you literally, literally to speak in a voice. That's calm and compassionate. Unlike my voice right now, <laughs> a voice uh, that's calm and compassionate and second validate the experience. It's okay. Wow. You know what? You're trying hard to clean. You really want to work better again, forgetting about comparing yourself. It's tough. You know what? I don't know why I hold myself to the standard. Validate your experience rather than say, and speak compassionately, but be invalidating, minimizing it. You know what? Okay, fine. I heard I speak with myself compassion, but what am I doing? Why can't I do a better job of, of cleaning? You know what? My mother cleaned good. I mean, what's wrong with me? That's invalidating your experience. In much the same way when you're speaking to somebody else, the key is to speak with compassion and to validate to with ourselves. If you want genuine self-awareness, it only happens when you get rid of the ego and the ego is going to invalidate you, not just other people. That's its job. It invalidates, it minimizes, it blames. Your job is to speak with compassion to yourself, calmly, quietly, and to validate the experience. If it's painful, if it's tough, if you feel bad because you're not measuring up, that's okay. That's the beginning of self-growth. I was
6: going to say, that kind of spirals into that imposter syndrome. You know, I ah, you know, then okay. you said I'm really, you know, I, yeah, I'm a fake. I'm really just not, you know, I, you know, I'm kidding myself kind of a thing, Yeah, you
2: know, yeah. Right, so it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I just gave a, a talk on the imposter syndrome. For those that don't know what the imposter syndrome is, it is, uh, I guess, self-described, where a person feels, even though they're capable and that they are effective, that they're really a fraud, that they're not. Now, what's interesting is the imposter syndrome I don't know if you want to spend too much time on this, it has nothing to do with confidence. It is everything to do with self-esteem, meaning a person, we think the imposter syndrome is somebody who lacks confidence, not the case. They lack self-esteem. They lack the feelings of self-worth, which makes them feel like they're a fraud. If they actually were ineffective and they lacked confidence, then it wouldn't be an imposter syndrome. It would really be an imposter. They wouldn't be doing a good job. So imposter syndrome is much to people's surprise a functional low self-esteem having zero to do with confidence and how effective they really are.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 We got like a million live questions. I don't know if you can handle it. We can go straight we can go straight to the same thing now. You ready? Okay.
5: Yeah hi. Hi. Um so I have a question regarding a person who's like has this egoistic personality. And I know he doesn't mean me. I know that um you know that it's his he he wasn't he didn't have a normal upbringing and everything. Is there a way of of like helping such a person?'m
6: yes. um, oh, sorry
5: um, no, I want to just continue by saying that this person is my father, and I know like I respect him as my father, but I know that he he he's a very powerful man, and he always he got his power by by I think by lifting himself up right. And I putting others down and, and the older he's getting, I feel like the more he's fighting for it and the less relationship he's ha- like less yeah. normal relationship he's having with people. But I, I see him, I see him in such pain, like, like he sees people disrespecting him. And I, I want to know if there's a way for me to help my father.
2: Yes. Yeah, so you, you seem like an exceptional person. asking a beautiful question. So it's like this very often, somebody who's dealing with someone like this, will say, I don't want to, quote unquote, enable them. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction. What they do is the exact wrong thing. They starve the person. They show them a lack of respect. They, they invalidate their feelings. They don't empathize. All it does, as you may have experienced, is further enrage the person and engage their ego. If you ask yourself, why is the ego there in the first place? So we know, we learned from the beginning, that it's there to compensate for my feelings of guilt, inferiority, shame, aspects of the self that I'm not willing to love and accept, accept. So if you love and accept me, then my ego will be less engaged because it's not now vying to compensate for anything. So what we want to do is allow this person to feel heard, which means then two things. One is we gave a talk, um, as you mentioned, uh, Rabbi Asher, on, I think, maximizing relationships. And we covered that. And I'll give you just a, a, a small snippet. Number one is you want to make sure that when your father's speaking to you is that regardless of what he's saying, you empathize and you validate with his experience. Because there's no way you can convince your dad of anything or anyone of anything if they're locked in their opinion, their perspective, as long as they're still digging their heels in and trying to convince you. Meaning when somebody's arguing with us, we try to convince them of our point of view and it falls on deaf ears time and again. The only way someone's gonna hear what you have to say and see the world through your glasses is that they take off their own. Now, as you disagree with them, they hold on tighter to their glasses because they need to convince you of their worldview. The minute you empathize with how they're feeling, validate their experience, they take their glasses off. That's akin to letting the ego drop. Here's when you can now introduce an alternate perspective. So you're going to find your dad is much easier to get along with when you stop arguing with him until he feels heard, in which case, you can very politely, respectfully, of course, introduce an alternate point of view. The second thing is that when he makes a mistake, you said he sees people as being disrespectful, He disrespects himself, he doesn't love himself. So yes, that's his narrative. He's going to interpret benign statements, benign comments, things that don't have a meaning as, this person doesn't love me, this this person doesn't respect me. So you want to really show your dad as much COVID, as much respect as you can, because what that will do again, is it will help him to convert that feeling of respect into self-respect, feel better about himself, drop the ego and engage. Again, we often do the opposite. We starve the person, and all that does is further engage them. Now, all of this is a prelude to optimizing the relationship. What you really want is connection. See, what personality disorders all have in common is one thing. Whatever it is, whether narcissistic, borderline, histrionic, whatever, they all seek to control because control is a surrogate to connection. We're wired for connection. If I can't connect with you but I want connection, I'm going to seek to control, because by that way, I can have a cashier relationship with you. So how do I control? How do I get you to like me? to want to be? It's by telling you how amazing I am. I can't be wrong. I have to be great. It's by forcing myself into your space. So if you're able to help your dad or anyone really who is egocentric to feel better about themselves vis-a-vis the relationship, You will establish a genuine connection, in which case you're able to now have a pipeline to give and take to reciprocity, giving, receiving, and actually help to build the person up from the inside out and to dismiss the ego. But again, as long as you're arguing with them, as long as you're pushing them, as as long as you're trying to convince them that they are not who they think they are, it's a fool's errand. It
6: could become a challenge.
2: I'm sorry, I'm just saying it could be a
0: challenge if they demand the things that you can't do. Let's say it's a spouse or even a father.
7: No, not no,
2: no doubt. Coach Malcolm, it is a great challenge. And what I encourage people to recognize is that it's a challenge no matter how you slice it. Your question is: do you want that challenge to lead to fruitful results, or do you want a challenge to be futile, futile and not produce any, you know, fruits? So, you know, this kind of person is going to run roughshod into your space. They, they have awful boundaries. They're not going to be able to respect you because again, they don't respect themselves. But you're going to see that by putting, as we've been talking about, your own ego aside and actually focusing on this person's pain, you'll have an entirely different relationship because you'll have an entirely different connection.
5: Um, okay, I understand that. And um, to the, ne- like, the next level of it would be giving him the message trying to somehow give him the message that like when he's he is there a way to teach a person like to be gentle to people and people will like you yes you know what i mean like i don't even know if there's someone to talk to i i my relationship with him i could work on but my question is how can i teach him you know like
2: right so, so you have to be speaking the same language, meaning, you know, sometimes, you know, you talk to somebody, you know, maybe it's like, you know, the cleaning lady, whomever it is, they may not speak your language. And you think if you just articulate, you know, clearly enough and gesture and speak loudly, they're going to understand you. If somebody's infrastructure is void of reason and rationale, they're just emotional, there is nobody home. So you want to speak the same language. So in a case like this, you always want to make, for example, I statements. The minute you say you, he's going to get defensive. We know that. What you can say is when he's in this space, when he's able to hear, when he's more gentle, that's when you express how you feel by I statements. And you say, I feel hurt when this happens and so on. You're not telling your daddy's doing anything wrong, that bad, because as soon as he hears that, the ego will instantly engage to protect itself. But rather when you explain to somebody that you feel hurt, you feel uh, uh, bad, you feel a certain way as a consequence, right? Then they're happy to have a conversation because you haven't accused them of doing anything wrong. You've taken responsibility. You're not saying you've done anything wrong. Again, this is how I feel. So make it I statements, talk about your feelings and you're going to find that your dad may say you're being overly sensitive. Uh, you, You know, you can't take any criticism and so on. All that's fine. But the only way to sort of get in there is never to say anything that's going to make him feel bad, put him on the defensive and get him argumentative. So just make it about how you feel that you feel hurt when this happens and just express how you feel. And you will find I'm telling you, you will be surprised, but you will find a little bit of a melting because the only reason he's going to dig his heels in is if you make him feel worse. And that only comes from laying blame at his feet. And if you do that, that's why you end up with the, you know, the arguments that you do. Take responsibility entirely for how things unfold. And he's gonna look to help put you out of pain because we're wired to give, we're wired to connect. He doesn't want his own door to be in pain. But more so than that, he cannot tolerate pain himself. So as long as you don't put him in pain, he's happy to take you out of pain. Amazing. That could be
0: a challenge, but. Um, next live question.
8: Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Um, Dr. Levi, I, I'm listening very attentively. I'm trying to figure out where I fit in, in all this matrix. And I, I look at myself as the type of person who um, has a very, has a habit of shutting down emotionally when hurt. And I know it goes, probably goes back to my childhood, but you know, I, I, even as a teenager, I used to hang up on people. If they, if they got me upset, I I just wouldn't continue the phone call. It was a habit I had as, as an adolescent and it went into early adulthood. But, um, what I'm looking at now that I'm a second time rounder, um, divorced, you know, and trying to, um, date successfully, um, a second time. And, um, I had a very close um, relationship that almost became an engagement. Um, well, I thought it almost became engagement. The, the the gentleman wrote me a letter at the you know said that he he couldn't continue the relationship, and I shut down. I didn't even answer the letter. I didn't. I don't know, like if. I'm not saying that if I would've answered it would've made a difference, but I I shut down when I get hurt. Yeah. And I don't know how to change that habit.
2: Okay, so it's a beautiful question. Thank you for sharing. I think that's true for a lot of people. What we're calling a habit is really a defense mechanism to avoid the pain because your ego is telling you that uh, if you disconnect from the person, if you shut down, if you unplug, then you are avoiding that fear of disconnection on his part. What is required in any relationship, any healthy relationship is vulnerability. Vulnerability is the risk of rejection. A person who doesn't want to be vulnerable is not gonna be able to connect because in order for me to connect with you, I have to open myself up to the possibility that you're going to reject me, right? I mean, that's logical. So even after the quote-unquote rejection, it is still a temptation to shut down, to avoid engaging. Because if you can move away, if you can disassociate, if you can separate from it, it's a way that you tell yourself that you're escaping the pain. The The swiftest, uh, most effective way is to engage even though it's difficult. That is how you overcome it. Um, and I, I know Coach Menachem will say, easier said than done, but it still has to be said. And that is that, you know, in a case like this, even if it's after the fact, by the way, that's okay. It doesn't doesn't matter how much time has passed. I would encourage you to re-engage. I would encourage you to be able to write a letter, uh, to email the person, and and the optimum way to do this, by the way, would be to not argue, uh, and and you may be surprised at the response, and uh, to Validate, meaning whatever reason you say whatever, say, I, you know, I respect fully and I, I appreciate where you're coming from. Thank you for taking. I'm sorry it took a long time. And it's be a complete mensch in doing it. Regardless of a response or lack of response, you will feel better because you re-engage. You're going to find the temptation to, to move away from from people who disagree with you, who don't like your opinions, your preferences, uh, who criticize and so on. But all these are attempts to... to um, avoid the larger pain of the vulnerability of disconnection, meaning that you're sort of beating them to the punch. So even after the fact, even after they've quote unquote, again, disconnected from you, I would encourage you to attempt a reconnection, not in the, uh, the under the guise of a reconciliation, but simply uh, to respond. Again, you, you went out presumably for some period of time. And even though there was a lapse, you apologize for that and reconnect. And do this in small ways, rather than avoid the temptation, as you aptly said, by the way, it does come from childhood. It's a coping mechanism that develops in childhood and then we bring it into adulthood. And this is our engagement style, but as you may experience, it's very unproductive because it doesn't allow for you to be able to work through issues. And certainly in a relationship, there's going to be disagreements. And the only way to resolve those disagreements effectively are to be vulnerable, express how you feel. See, what happens is my, my um, bet will be that you grew up in a house where you weren't allowed to express your feelings. As soon as you said how you felt, somebody, mom or dad invalidated it. They said, no, you don't feel that way. It doesn't really matter. Um, they minimized it. Maybe they blamed you, but you weren't allowed to express how you felt. At some point when you stopped feeling heard, you stopped expressing yourself. And now when you meet with this agreement, you are very quick to shut down. Was that your experience in childhood, by the way?
8: Um, I think I just grew up in a home where feelings were just not talked about. You know, it wasn't- uh, and,
2: and what something... happened if you expressed how you felt? What was it met with?
8: Um, well, I was always the favorite child. So, um, you know, nothing I could do was, um, I could I could do no wrong. So I, I, I wasn't met with it meant met with any sort of resistance. It's just, I think that, um, my life experience after the divorce and the rejection after the divorce, um, you know, I left me shut down and afraid. And, you know, when, when this person wrote a letter who was, I was seriously dating instead of talking to me, you know, face to face, I, I shut down and I, and.
2: Yeah, but, but it was a normal, just so you know, there's nothing uh, unhealthy about your response in terms of, you know, when, when a person meets with rejection, it's normal to retreat. Some people will attack aggressively, but it's perfectly normal to take a step back, take a breath, to sort of, you know, recalibrate. That's okay. That is, you know, emotional regulation and gaining our equilibrium. The question is how you move forward afterwards. So I I, I, I certainly wouldn't be hard on yourself, and, and maybe, you know, his writing a letter was not optimum depending on how long you've been dating, and he should have done it. And that was his form really of avoiding a conversation. Right. A right. And, and it so that
8: he really wasn't serious himself
2: about well, moving forward. Well, no, no, so I would respectfully suggest that his letter had nothing to do, I would. he chickened out and didn't want the confrontation because he didn't want um, to meet with resistance. He can write a letter And, you know, you you can't argue with a letter face to face. I mean, you can, but he he, he chose not uh, you chose not to. Um, But no, I I would suspect his his writing a letter, nothing to do with how serious it was. The relationship how he felt about you. It had to do with his ability to be able to express how he felt in a way um, that he felt comfortable doing. Again, in a nice way, I think he sort of chickened out of the, the responsible way of doing it. But I don't think that's a, re- a reflection of his feelings toward you; more a reflection of his own ability to express himself.
8: Right. So, I, you know, I just didn't respond to the letter. I didn't respond. So, okay. how how long
2: ago was this, by the way? Over a year. I, I would, I, you know, what? I, I, I would respond now. I mean, if it's an email, why not? Apologize for the delay. Thank him for his letter. And 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 again. Without the intention of getting a response, let me ask you this question: If you responded and you reconnected, at least in writing, with again without the anticipation of any response, simply just uh, rather than take the route of remaining shut down, how do you think you'll feel about it afterwards?
8: I would feel I would feel better because at least I felt like you know the loop you know, like I responded, like right now I'm just feeling terrible that I just- So for a
2: year, so stop. So I would would stop right now, hit the pause button or keep in the background, write a pleasant, nice email, wish him a, a, a good yontif and you will feel fantastic about yourself because you will have shown yourself that you can establish connection. You don't have to shut down. You're opening yourself up, really, if you want to be honest here, to the risk of rejection again.
8: He may- right. well, that's re- why I haven't written the letter. That's why I, I know. haven't
2: responded. I, I know, but that's just it. And but by, by putting yourself out there, by being vulnerable, you're telling yourself that you can take the hit. It's okay. He can yeah. say, no, thank you, and you'll still be standing. That act, will be invaluable for you and your ability to cultivate right. ability to right. move forward and connect. Does that make right make sense? Yeah?
8: Yes, yes. I think it'll help me, you know, become stronger and more self-confident. Yes,
2: yes. so regardless do
8: it. regardless of one second. I'll one second, give one more second.
1: Okay. Okay.
8: okay. Continue.
1: Sorry, you got muted. Okay. So, so I, I, right. yeah, I think that right, was go a right. good
8: answer. Thank you. I, I I think I just have to, you know, learn <laughs> how to uh no. you know, especially in the dating world and as an older single, um, it's very, you know, there's a lot of rejections and um, you know, it's uh hard to, you know, present it, it, yourself on a good, you know, after so many rejections, you know. It, 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 you're, you're, not, you're, you're not young enough, you're not pretty
2: enough, you're not this, you're not that, you know, right. so but it's... You, your Zivokshini is, is out there and it just takes one person to recognize uh, how great you are. And so all the, you know, it's same thing in sales, by the way, is that, you know, you ask any master salesperson who does cold calls all day long and they don't view a no as a no. If they get one out of a hundred, they view the no as one hundredth of a yes, so you know what, yes, there'll be some frogs out there, but all the no's are, they just look at it rather than N-O as K-N-O-W, they don't know enough, they don't know how great you are, they're lost, and just keep going forward. And, and, and you're going to do something invaluable for yourself, and that is show yourself, you can put yourself out there, risk what feels like rejection, but they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting what they think you are, and they don't know you. And keep on going out there, and just that act is gonna build tremendous self-confidence and you're going to then attract the person who is really going to be your other half.
1: All right, Dr. David. Okay, let's go. There's so many more live. There's a whole night over here. Okay, you're on.
2: Hi.
9: I, I want to know how I can help my teenage children whose self-esteem has been knocked down by their father when they were little and are starting to show serious emotional instability.
2: Okay. Is dad still in the picture? Yeah. Great. Yeah, this, and this, I actually...
9: I can yeah. add, um I decided to see a therapist this winter, and um things were getting out of hand. I you know, the schools were suggesting therapists for the children um and she labeled him with borderline personality at the second session and, and she just wanted me to like fight and i I, I didn't like that because i've seen I've seen so much um um good changes happen over the years and I want to continue on that path rather than, you know, stick up for myself and start fighting. I didn't, I never went back to after two sessions.
2: Okay. So it's just to be clear, this therapist that you went to diagnosed your husband.
9: Yeah, I thought it wasn't nice of her.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I I, I, I might've been irresponsible as well, but yeah, Um. and not to say that they're right or wrong, I don't know, but let me ask you this. Is your husband anyone to work with? In other words, what yeah. level of self-awareness? I'm sorry, please?
9: Yes, 100%, because uh, why am I saying it? Because he has changed so much over the years. I've seen so much
2: great. good happening. Great, great, great. So if his self-awareness is there um, and he is growing as a person, um, what does he, what is he able to acknowledge? In other words, is it the damage that he's already laid out on the children that has impact today and his behavior is different? Or has he gotten somewhat better? Is he a complete turnover? In other words, where is he in terms of his treatment if he was treating the kids like he is now from the beginning, would we have these problems or not?
9: No, for sure not. My younger children don't have the same problems my older children
2: great. have. Great, great, good, good, great. So what your, your husband needs to do is hit the reset button. So very quickly, let's walk through what this looks like. What are the ages of the older kids, please? And where are they in life? 12,
9: 13,
2: boys. 12, 13, boys, fantastic, great. So um, is, what is their level of interaction with their father now, please?
9: it's it's good but they they try to get like attention like negative attention but right. it's, it's okay it's so
2: good. okay so in a nutshell here's what has to happen and it's all on on your husband's side number 1 is he needs to forget about the idea of any critique or criticism every word that comes out of his mouth should be positive with the kids it should all be besimcha. there is nothing in his mind that the kids can do that is wrong the hinak the responsibility any um no matter that comes your role your your job is to go ahead and with the discipline his job is only to be loving and supportive he is again my wish list here and if there's someone to work with he will do this it'd be besimcha around the kids as much uh, res, healthy one-on-one time with the children whatever they get right he should point it out um uh, uh he should uh be as Uh, positive as possible. Whenever they have an issue, he should be as empathizing and validating as possible. In a nutshell, his behavior towards them should just be like, you know, he's a visiting Zadie. The kids can do no wrong, whatever it is. Any discipline is your job. I'm presuming you have a good relationship with them. And I'm telling you, you're going to turn the relationship around. At this age, by the way, it is still highly malleable. What they really want ultimately from their father is it's not just a tension, they, what they want is for, the, for their father to feel that, uh, to feel proud of the children, to, to, uh, to, to take pride in them, to feel that, for the child to feel that my father thinks that I'm amazing. They, the very idea that unconditional love uh, has to be instilled. And unconditional love means then that the, for the children don't get a Yashaka because they're doing what's right. That's it that's simple they should get from their father, you are so amazing, you are so terrific when the child is in the kitchen drinking orange juice. Meaning the very definition of unconditional love is it's not based on something, because I'll tell us, any love that's conditional is not really love. So you undo, you uproot this feeling uh, towards their father by just instilling unconditional love. And that is again, no criticism, no complaints, nothing negative from dad, just positive, but again, not just positive for the behaviors, it is that feeling that no matter who they are, where they are, it's it's their father telling them, I'm so proud of you, I'm so on all of you, you are so amazing, you are such a great kid, and proper physical affection, and I'm telling you, you will turn this around quickly.
9: But I can't tell him this, because I have to do this with him.
2: Oh, uh, okay, that's my question of self-awareness. Okay, for anyone else listening out there that can do it, do that. So you've been doing all this with him and you noticed you had a different relationship, correct? Mm-hmm, right. Okay, this it, okay, it goes back to my original question about self-awareness. It, is he, what, about what I said, how much of what I said is he able to hear and to do?
9: Um, he can hear it, but he can't do it. He doesn't do it. It's just, it's just so, it's very foreign
2: and... Okay, so he obviously, okay, we, we know what kind of house he grew up in. right. So I said, fine, start small steps. At the very least, put yourself, is anyone he listens to by the way, any Rob, anyone of like a higher authority that if they say jumpy jumps?
9: Hardly, no, that's that's also an issue.
2: Right, yeah, okay. Um, by hook or by crook, he's got to be made aware. What, what
9: I what he does do is he copies me. So like if I'm the same around the kids, get unconditional love and all that, he copies, he does right. what I do.
2: Fine, fine, so then you do it. The the kids will be better off with um, just you and discipline behind the scenes, by the way, if you need to, but then that's great. That's our opening in front of him. Be exactly that. Also, by the way, be supportive of him in front of the kids. Meaning when Tati's giving a tar. Don't let the kids get away with bloody murder. Again, that's your opportunity to say, hey, hey, "Come on, Todd. This game. he has got to feel fed a little bit," as you probably well know. Um, so take those opportunities for yourself and also for the the children to show proper, uh, you know, kibud to their to that father. Um, but then, model model exactly what it is you want from him, and behind the scenes, you know, discipline if you need to. But that's going to be your your opening.
9: Okay. Thank
2: you. Okay. Hatzlacha.
1: Amazing Dr.
4: David, a few more live ones over here. On mute? Okay, you're on. Okay, yep. Okay. Um, I have a sibling that was uh, in uh, about ten years old when our father passed away, and as an adult, she talks about God giving her a bad deal, and she's got issues with Amuna. Oh, is that the ego and the child?
2: It's, it's, yeah, right. So it's a very good question. Look, look, uh, uh, Amuna, it, 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 we go into our shkuffa here and we'll just you know uh, lay it out in broad strokes and then get to your, your, your question specifically. Amuna is the recognition that God exists. And as Ibn explains, that He is the cause of everything, nothing happens outside of His. Uh, of, his, of his auspices. He is and was and will always be. Betachen is a function of a relationship. Everything that Hashem does is, everything that God does, um, I recognize. But in order for me to have Betachen, that requires, you know, trust, meaning that I am worthy of whatever it is that God does for me. So again, a person can have perfect amunah, and not have betachen, meaning I recognize God exists. I recognize he's omniscient. I recognize he's all powerful. I recognize the fundamental tenets of Hashem. At the same time, I am so broken, lousy, bad, defective. There's no way things are gonna turn out well for me because I'm not worth it. So when people talk about you know questions of the Muna, sometimes it's not a munah, it's betachen. So it's important to, to draw that distinction. Um, again, a person can have perfect amuna or, or near perfect amuna but their can can, cannot exist. We all know, we recognize Hashem exists, who he is. Most of our issues are with Betachen because we don't feel valuable. We don't feel worth it. So uh, I don't know whether or not it's a matter of and Betachen, but clearly she feels that she got a bad deal and that's going to come down to not a Munah, it's going to come to Betachen. She feels uh, that she wasn't worthy of um, or that um, the cuts were indiscriminate and that um, it, was, it was not fair, meaning that, um, that, that what happened to her should not. It's an injustice. When a person experiences a trauma when they're young, that's going to uh, affect what we called before toxic shame. It's going to very often make me feel ashamed which as we said, makes me feel less worthy, that I'm not worthy of love and connection. So why would things work out well? So um, I, I would I, I forget about the ego with her. Um, I would, um, I mean, you know, she, she, really what she needs here is trauma therapy to help her to unwind because it, it seems apparent that she never got over um, the, the, the loss of your dad. Is, is that fair to say?
4: Well, she shut down emotionally. I just went into a forty-year depression.
2: Oof. Wow. Okay. So uh, you know, the the responsible answer is trauma therapy. Uh, you know, trauma is not locked into time and space. You know, a trauma, which is why a person who experiences a trauma when they're they they're young, or you know, a post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, when they're back, even after many years, it's like they're experiencing it in real time and space. You still have that 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 same physiological. Uh, feeling sometimes. So the good news is, though, that trauma work today can help to unwind from the past. And there are a number of methodologies that are much more effective than they used to be. So really, I would I would encourage a very good trauma specialist um, to help your sister uh, to to work through it, because even though it happened when she was 10, it doesn't make a difference. Trauma is trauma. And um, the work that she's does today can help her to lead a happier, healthier, more productive life. I I wish there was a shortcut or easier answer, um, but I'm not sure that there is for this one.
4: Okay, thank you so much.
2: Sure. Okay, next question. You're on.
4: Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, This goes back to the dating question. As a mother of a boy. I, I see that he really has a lot of trouble accepting criticism, which we hope is constructive, whether it's from me or the Shadchan or anybody. He won't see a dating coach. He he does have a Rebbe that he talks to, but he doesn't talk to him regularly. So it's like a lot of times the feedback isn't so positive about something that happened and it's like, Num, you know, yeah.
2: Right. So can you share with me, please, what the feedback, is the feedback that, you know, he's not communicative and does express how he feels? Or is it about something that he said or did on the date uh, that he can't hear?
4: Yeah, more like something he said or did. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Can I ask you, if you're comfortable sharing, what would be an example of something you said or did that he is not willing to accept?
4: Right. I'll just tell you the last two things. So because people don't always share. This person shared with, the sure. shared with me he came a late twice, um, a little bit late. And the other thing was when they were driving, he, I don't know, somebody was weaving and he made some kind of comment about like, oh, you know, sometimes he drives like that. Like, you know, I don't know, something like that. Like trying to show he's cool, you know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So look, to no one's surprise, ultimately it comes back to self-esteem, you know, which, you know, we we spoke about earlier.
4: I'm asking you.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the, the more self-esteem a person has, the more they can acknowledge weaknesses and faults. It is a healthy person that can be vulnerable and admit uh, to faults and failures and insecurities. It's a person who has lower self-esteem that's unable to do that. And they have a harder time hearing criticism. They can give it freely. They have a harder time hearing it. Um, So really, ultimately here, the key is to help his self-esteem. That is not about building up his ego, telling him how wonderful he is, which is often counterproductive. What happens is when someone has low self-esteem, we think that by telling them how amazing, how great they are, how perfect and wonderful, we're building them up. We make a fundamental mistake because when you take somebody who has low self-esteem, you tell them how great they are, what you're doing is you're upping the ante. You're making it that much more difficult for them to risk vulnerability and the fear of rejection because they need now to hold themselves up to this image. So really, you want to help them to acknowledge and to see their imperfections rather than their perfections. So, without certainly casting any blame or responsibility, um, you know, it it's a person's sense of self-esteem. Uh, is can be built up certainly from the interaction from the parents uh, and their ability to be able to express that unconditional acceptance, unconditional love. So I don't know what the home situation looks like, but certainly being more positive, again, not telling him that he's a bit since sliced bread, that's not what you want to do, but rather uh, helping, him to, uh, helping him to see uh, his greatness vis-a-vis your relationship with him um, and that unconditional love that we spoke about with the other person. Um, and really, about um, it's if you the the degree to be to, to be able to have him talk about uh, his faults and his failures in conversation in a open space it's what's going to help him to to be more vulnerable. So the the once again the long answer to a very good short question is is he needs to be able to begin to share with maybe it's his rebbe. Or maybe it's with um, somebody, um, it's it's a a honest expression of what he doesn't like about himself. himself. Because a real reflection of self-respect, self-esteem doesn't come from what we love about ourselves. It's the acknowledgement about how we deal with the parts of ourselves that we don't love. That's really the gauge of somebody's emotional health, not how I think about the wonderful parts of me, how I'm able to accept and integrate the parts of me that I don't love and be able to accept them, acknowledge them, and work through them. So I would say, again, just, just fleshing out the order here is first, whatever the, the relationship, the interaction at home, try and have that to be as positive as you can so that he feels that unconditional love and acceptance to build that up. Don't tell him he's amazing and wonderful and perfect because that's only gonna up the ante. And thirdly, tr- try to find somebody with whom he's comfortable talking about his faults, his failures and insecurities, that is going to be the gateway to help him to be more honest and to reflect on himself. I guess, ultimately this comes back to self-esteem.
4: Okay, thank you. I think that part, the last part is gonna be very hard.
2: Which part, by getting him to open up to somebody? Yes. Yes, I don't disagree. So whenever you want movement from somebody, by the way, um, it's going to be that you have to help them to see the pain of staying where they are, um, versus the pain of the action, because ultimately we move towards pleasure and away from pain. So if he believes that it's more painful to talk than not talking, you're right, he's not going to move forward. He needs to be able to see in very real sense that the pain of not talking is worse than the pain of talking, meaning he has to now get real with And this is something you can bring to the forefront that if he's not able to hear feedback, not from you, from somebody else, by the way, if he's not able to hear constructive criticism, he is he's going to have a very hard time connecting, learning and growing and being better on a date. Um, And the pain that's going to come from dating, uh, you know, week after week, month after month, year after year, when he recognizes that as worse than the pain of sharing how he feels with somebody else, that's when he or anyone else is ultimately gonna take action.
4: Okay, I mean, he's still very resistant. We had a little bit of a discussion like that, and and it's a problem.
2: again i know he's resistant only because the pain of having that conversation is his mind is less than the pain of where he is right now so he needs to be introduced to the fact that unless he's able to express how he feels hear constructive criticism he's going to get a lot more the same which ultimately is going to be a lot more painful when that message is hits home for him or anybody that's when we move forward unbelievable okay Dr.
1: David, there's a lot more. Can we handle it? How much longer can we go?
2: That's Well, we'll see how, we'll see how things go.
1: Okay, you're on.
10: Hi. Um, so I know that the trend today is very much of, you know, it's the other person and um, and and how, you know, that it's not me, it's the other person. Um And um, it's true also that we have to look at ourselves and we have to try to see maybe it's something that I'm doing. But um, a lot of times, like, I'm just not sure. Um, And I know that that has to do with, you know, childhood and, um, you know, that my feelings were always, um, you know, I was always told, no, that's not how you feel, you really feel this way. So I've always lived my life very confused as to what I'm really feeling. And um, I feel that, you know, a lot of times, like I need like a neutral judge to tell me it's the other person right, maybe they're right. Um, if, I, if I say no, I don't think they're right, then I need somebody to validate me. Well, were they right, were yeah. they not? So I feel like my life has been one big confusion. And, you know, like right now, I just, you know, at a certain point, you're just like, you just throw up your hands, like.
2: Yeah. Well, okay. So before you throw your hands up, let me offer you some thoughts. Uh, And before we do that, let me just encourage anyone listening out there that has younger children or really children of any age, that there's a saying that if you can't express yourself to your mother, you won't be able to express yourself to another. Something we touched on earlier. And that is that, you know, when a child expresses, you know, how many times you tell your children, they say, I'm hungry. So you can't be hungry. You just ate. Okay, maybe it's a ruse to get out of bedtime, but there's only so long you can tell a child that what they think isn't real, how they feel isn't real, that they begin to doubt themselves, they shut down, and like this woman, they transition to adulthood, and suddenly they question whether their own thoughts and feelings are accurate, and they forever seek outside validation. So it's important to remind yourself that regardless of what your child says, how they express, how they feel, what they think, to empathize and validate, it doesn't mean you're saying it's right. What you are saying is you are entitled to say what you're saying, to feel how you're feeling. And I get validation is I get that based on your perspective, why you feel this way, based on how you're seeing things, this is how you feel. And that's perfectly acceptable. That's very cathartic and very beneficial. Now, as an adult today, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm
11: saying As yes, an adult
2: too. today, one of the ways you help to unwind from that is simply by uh, expressing Pressing, everything starts small, meaning that however you feel, whatever you think, you accept it. Don't look for outside validation. Uh, Don't look for somebody to tell you right. Don't look for somebody's stamp of approval. Begin with small things. And you're going to find that you're able to build because one of the most important things we need to be able to do is to trust ourselves. When we no longer trust ourselves, we turn to the rest of the world, not only for approval, but to tell us what reality is. And as you well know, it's a very uh, emotionally uneven place to be because that means that our own thoughts and feelings are in question. So start with small things, whatever it is, Accept it. Don't seek outside validation. You will find very quickly you're able to build on that, and that's one of like the swiftest paths paths towards being able to retrust yourself again. And by the way, you don't won't always be right, and it's not about being right. It's about okay. like, Again, just just like if you try to be right, you're going to just freeze up, and you're going everything's going to be your objective isn't to be right. Your objective merely is to think about how you feel, to think about what you think, and then to move forward. That's it. If it turns out that you're right, that's gravy. You will find that you will build up a track record of being right 70%, 80%, 90% of the time. And you will be able to regain that trust with yourself the much the same way that you regain trust with somebody else when they have a track record of being accurate.
11: Amazing. Okay. I'll bring you on. Hi. So I grew up um, uh, being bullied as a kid. And I also, my parents got divorced and uh, kind of had the a, a rough on both ends over there with the social and at home. And, um, you know, I have three kids now and I find myself, you know, I'm working on um, the self-worth uh, piece, um, which is obviously carried along with it. And I'm working on uh, mindfulness and becoming more present uh, in the moment and, working with a therapist on that. But my question to you is how do I translate the work that I'm doing in this area to be besimcha? You know, I, somebody mentioned earlier, like, you know, we, we have people in our life and everybody knows people who are have a smile on their face every step of the way. And inside of me, I wanna be that person. Um, so how do I go from, okay, I'm gonna work in this issue and I'm gonna become more mindful and present and um, working on my own self, worth, how do I translate into being the Simcha? We're coming into Pesach now. I would love to have some advice from you.
2: i oh, me. That's a beautiful question. And it's like this, a Simcha charges everything with energy. So you're asking the right question because it will give us the enthusiasm and the vitality to do more. And if you, if you, if you recognize that Simcha is directly linked with something else called gratitude it becomes infinitely easier. If you think about the people in your life are the most grateful, they're the most besimcha. Gratitude and simcha are intimately linked. The more grateful we are, the more joyful we are. People who lack gratitude are filled with resentment and anger, and they are the least joyful. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life. It doesn't matter their experiences. The people who are able to focus on the good, express the car, see the good, look for the good of themselves in the world and others are going to be the most joyful. So the avoda here is it's, it's, joy is, is a symptom of gratitude. It can't be sought out directly. It only comes from. Focusing on the good, which means now your voter is to look for the good in yourself. Look for the good in others. Look for the good in your world. You will find that you will move through your life with so much more joy, so much more simcha, because from gratitude will flow joy. When we focus in on what's missing, what's not working, what's broken, what's defective, we can't help but feel down because we're focused on the negativity. So the you're going to be able to charge your feelings of self-worth, charge your feelings of um, appreciation, charge your feelings of everything from gratitude because our, emotion, our emotional state doesn't come out of anywhere. Our emotions come from our thoughts, our thoughts come from our focus. Focus on what you appreciate. We have an opportunity. We wake up in the morning. Hashem obviously knows that we want to frame our day. We wake up in the morning. We say, thank you, Hashem, for returning my Neshama, my soul, back to my body. We begin the day framed with gratitude. You have an opportunity upwards of 100 times a day to make a bracha, to make a blessing, to connect to the joy. So the more positive you are, the more you focused on what's working, the more joyful you're going to be. So through Pesach, the Avoda is look for the good, you will see the good, and you will be more besimcha. So, I just want to ask a, a general
11: follow-up question to that regarding simcha: Is there? I totally hear what you're saying, but is there like, a, like a way to quantify that I did my dose of gratitude, so to speak? Meaning, meaning, obviously, gratitude you could have 24/7, but um, you know, is there? And and you mentioned something interesting. You said gratitude about myself. I'm not sure if that in particular is an avoda
2: versus general gratitude. Right, it's about looking for the good, right? In other words, what does it mean to be grateful? Because I can't appreciate, which is why mindfulness is so effective by the way, because gratitude exists in the present, right? Meaning that you cannot be grateful for something. The reason why we like joy, you get something new, whatever it is, because if it's intrinsic value, it's worth its utility, that's why it brings us joy. We stop getting joy from it, and the term is actually called hedonistic adaptation principle. When we start taking it for granted, we stop appreciating it, and so there's no more joy we can extract from it. That appreciation only happens in the present. You can't appreciate something in the past or in the future only here, which is why mindfulness connects us with the here and now. So, yes, certainly being cognizant and appreciating what it is in yourself that you like what it is that you admire that is, will lead you to be grateful and that will lead to joy. In terms of your question about quantifying or concretizing it, more than 270 some odd studies show that people who focus on what they're grateful for are happier. It's the most amazing thing. There's not a single study that contradicts it. When 200 again, 70 studies show people who focus on what they're grateful for. Now you can do montage, collages, make a list. People have different mechanisms. One of the most powerful ways for us is actually when you make a bracha or when something good happens, rather than simply see it and be done with it, spend four, five, six seconds on it, and you'll quadruple five times, six times, whatever the word is for for that, um, the amount of happiness. So I'm not sure that there's a limit. I do know that people who are more grateful are the more happy. Gratitude comes from looking for the positive, seeing what you appreciate in yourself, in your world, in others. If you just are mindful of moving through your day and saying, what do I appreciate about this person? What do I appreciate about the situation? What do I appreciate about me right now? I'm telling you, you're going to find so much more gratitude. And from that gratitude, you're going to shift into a a, a greater state of simcha and a more consistent state of simcha.
0: Thank you. Sure. Wow. Here's a, a question somebody sent in. I'm part of a circle of people who are in the corporate world making a lot of money. But I am struggling to make ends meet. This makes me feel like a loser and a failure. Sometimes question Hashem asking why he does this to me. I wonder why I can't be like my friends uh, that are doing so well. Can you suggest any ways to help me cope with these feelings of inadequacy? All
2: right. look, we you know any metric you use to measure yourself against somebody else uh, is gonna determine uh, how you feel. And that's based on our values, right? Our values can determine the metric, the currency that we use. So if I value money, this person value money, and I don't have enough of it, I'm going to feel less good. But what's interesting about someone else has spoken about contrast and comparison earlier, and that, you know what, look at it like this. The Olympics have three places, right? There's, there's gold, silver, and bronze. The research shows that the bronze medalist is actually happy, while the silver medalist is depressed, feels down. Now, what's going on? Even this world of contrast and comparison, we would assume that the silver medalist should be happier than the bronze, because they came in second, the bronze guy came in third. Why they feel less good, they feel down, because they missed the goal. They're comparing themselves to the person who did better than them, while the bronze guy is just happy to be on the podium in the first place. So even in a world that tells us compare and contrast yourself to other people, you'll feel better, it doesn't work. Uh, you want to be able to, again, as we said before, it's self-growth, it's not self-comparison. If you look at Perky Alvos, for example, who is wealthy, who is wise, who is strong, and who is honored, all of those are about yourself, meaning a Torah-based values, I'm wise if I learn from other people, I'm honored if I honored others, I'm strong if I rise above my nature, I have to do with me. The rest of the world is I'm wise if I'm smarter than somebody else, I'm strong if I'm strong than somebody else. They're all built on comparison and contrast, not based on myself. So any metric that compares ourselves to other people, what happens when we walk into a room with somebody wealthier, smarter, more attractive, whatever it is, we're going to feel less good about ourselves because our self-esteem wasn't increased. It was our ego that got instantly deflated and it will always get deflated whenever we don't measure up. So first off, what's your value system? What's your metric? How are you, what are you using to measure your worth? And secondly, if it's based on contrast and comparison, you're doomed for failure.
1: Beautiful. Okay, there's so many lives. Sorry, that, that, that a lot of questions that came in. I feel like we need to cover, but uh, okay, you're on. Hi.
11: One second.
9: Hi, what's the difference between self-aware and self-conscious?
2: That's a very good question. So um, I'm not sure what what Siri would say, um, but self-awareness generally means the ability to, uh, to, I say be aware, but you can't even use the same word. The, the ability to recognize uh, the reality within oneself, right? I'm self-aware. I know, you know, exactly what's going on. I'm, I'm cognizant of it. Self-conscious is, you know, whether a person, you're talking about like a person is self-conscious, that would mean that they are um, like a person is self-conscious, that they are aware of themselves in in contrast with how they're being viewed by somebody else. So meaning that like when you give up, get up to give a speech, you may become self-conscious. You become self-aware that somebody's looking at you. but self-conscious, being feeling self-conscious is a function of the ego, meaning that how am I perceived? What's my persona? What's the facade? What what's the interaction with somebody else? Where self-awareness is just about me and my ability to be cognizant about what it is I'm thinking, what it is I'm feeling. Self-conscious again has to do with my interaction with other people.
1: Okay,
2: amazing. You're
12: on. Hi, you hear me? Yes. Hi. Okay, so there was a questioner earlier that said she shuts down. And uh, the doctor answered something about, um, he said that um, we need to emotionally regulate and recalibrate after we get rejection.
2: Right. Now, as
12: much as we know that rejection is the perspective of the other person, does this recalibration and emotional regulation have like, a process. Um, if it's like a big rejection, um, just like a grieving, you know, would have a process, and even, you know, maybe anger can be a part of a process. I, I think maybe even part of a healthy process. There could be a period of time that you feel different feelings. Um, so I'm wondering if, even if, as much as we know, it's the other person's perspective, does if 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 it affects us and we feel like we're going through. A big emotional upheaval. Does this mean that there's a self-esteem issue, or is it normal to have a process?
2: Look, it's a beautiful question. So, yes, it's perfectly normal to have a process. Ideally, you want to move to the point of acceptance, right? Meaning, this is the reality. I accept it with love, and I recognize that even though this person, quote unquote, rejected me, and let's assume that there's validity. Meaning. They rejected me because I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't, in their eyes, I wasn't this. Now, does that mean I'm not smart? No, does it mean I'm not pretty? No, it means this person didn't, I I didn't measure up in their eyes. Does that make me less valuable as a human being? Ultimately, when we come out with the equation of how somebody sees me, right, has nothing to do with me, it has to do with their perception of me, uh, then then we've said to sort of regulate it ourselves. Whatever process and twists and turns that takes, that's going to really be based on, on the person's emotional health. There's there there is there are longer ways to go and more convoluted ways. And if I draw the clu- a conclusion, by the way, that, um, for example, that maybe I'm worthless, maybe I'm not good, that certainly is going to make me shut down. Um, I also say that there's no good guys out there, there's no good people out there, so why even put myself out? So I'm going to sell myself a distortion, which is also unhealthy, meaning my inevitable conclusion is going to be um, that, you know, that fine, there's nothing wrong with me, but I'm gonna distort the world. I'm gonna to, going to distort it so that it accommodates my perception, but that's not really reality. So the, to answer your question, and tell me if I'm answering correct, uh, if I'm answering your question the way you asked it, and that is that first off, yes, the process can take many loops and turns. The, 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 the and it's perfectly normal to feel uh, hurt. That's OK. That is, not, being, Feeling hurt is not a function of the ego. Getting angry is it going to be a function of the ego, uh, largely. There's, there's, it comes with an asterisk. But feeling pain, by the way, because somebody rejected me, doesn't mean that I, I don't have self-esteem. It means that I wanted something to go one way. It went other way. I'm honest with myself. Being dishonest with myself is going to be a function of the ego because I'm not able to accept the reality. But saying this is, here's the, 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 the uh, may be asking this, here's the, the swiftest protocol. is first off to recognize is a moment to be in pain. I got rejected. It hurts. It stings. It stinks. It's not fun. Not to say, I don't care. To ask a little five-year-old, you know, you bothered? I don't care. I don't, what are you really saying? I care so much, but I don't want to admit being vulnerable. So saying, I don't care, doesn't move you forward. It's being dishonest. You're lying to yourself. Recognize it's the moment to be in pain. This is hard, this is difficult. Speak to yourself with compassion, as we said to the uh, woman before. This is, I. I, I, speak to yourself as you've been speaking to your best friend. This is tough. Calmly, warmly, kindly. Validate how you feel. Just because you shouldn't say, I shouldn't be feeling this way. What does it really matter? This guy doesn't really know me. Say, you know what? Regardless of whether or not it's logical, it hurts and this is how I feel. That's okay. You don't have to tell yourself you shouldn't be feeling this way, it's bad to feel this way, you're wrong to feel this way. Be honest, you're going to find, you move out of it when you're honest with yourself with compassion. So again, be honest with the pain, speak with self compassion, validate the experience, acknowledge it, and you're going to move right through to acceptance. But the more we get caught up in resisting it, uh, telling ourselves that the world is broken, it's unfair, nobody's good out there, the more we're, we're distorting the reality and it's going to be a longer road toward that path of acceptance.
12: Mm-hmm. Okay, so pain is 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 okay, and it's Honor, healthy. Uh-
2: yeah, honoring the pain is perfectly legitimate. It's even obligatory. In other words, if a person's in, in pain, physical pain, say, I'm not in pain, all you're doing is lying to yourself. Tell me how you move past the pain by lying to yourself. That, by the way, those of you familiar with the Sarno method, is the genesis of it. In other words, if I can't acknowledge my emotional pain, it's going to go into my physiology. So if I can't acknowledge that this is a moment of go in pain, I'm not going to be able to accept it and move forward but pain has an emotion behind it or pain
12: is an emotion?
2: Oh, uh, it's right. So physical pain is going to have a, a, a physical component. Emotional pain will have an emotional component. But yeah. If, well, if, what kind of
12: components would not, what kind of emotional component behind pain would not be ego?
2: Excellent. It's, what, what kind of, let me understand, what kind of emotion- Which
12: emotions? There's an emotion that's bringing about the pain.
2: Let's say, let's say I feel judged. Ah, excellent. Very, very good. No, 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 no. I understand something. A person who is pure neshama, pure soul. OK, Let, let's like something like Avram Ravinu, Right. He experienced a loss of his wife. Right. Sorry. He was in pain. Right. It was an emotional pain of the Mitziyah, so the reality that hurts. That's OK. He didn't deny it. He didn't say, OK, he didn't. It, and he's also Hashem told him not to, you know, to to. I believe, not to to further engage in it. He acknowledged it. He accepted it. When a person experiences a loss, a rejection is a loss. It is a loss of an opportunity of a possible relationship. It is a disconnection. It is painful. That in and of itself can be purely Neshama-driven, and it is is a pain that we can honor, period. It doesn't have to come from a a corrupted place.
12: So there's no emotion that I should try to identify when I'm experiencing
2: pain? Uh, no, very good. Again, the, the the authentic pain comes from the fact that this is, it is a loss. Now, if you're asking, is a person who is absolutely positively no ego on the highest level, how they would view it? Yes, I w- I, I would concede that they would say, this is the reality. I betachin Hashem loves me. Whatever happens. The good, not only that, but thank you, Hashem, and move forward and be pain free. That person, I'm certainly not on level. Do they exist? Sure, I'm not there. So I'm speaking to everybody else. So uh, theoretically, you 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 bring up a beautiful point. And yes, a person who recognizes the reality that everything is tailor made, custom made for a good and for a growth, and that there is nothing bad, so it's only good, just the good they can't see that has perfect patachin. They're going to uh, be pain free the rest of us are going to feel that sting of rejection, which yes, is going to be a function of the eight of Horror, the ego, that part of us that feels unworthy, unloved, because our greatest desire is connection, which makes our greatest fear disconnection. The only reason I'm going to uh, be disconnected from, it's an awful grammatic, uh, sentence awful grammatically, so is that, um, is if I'm not worthy. So when somebody doesn't like me, when somebody says I'm not good enough, when somebody rejects me or criticizes me, it gnaws at my greatest fear that maybe they're right, maybe I'm not worthy of connection. And that ultimately, yes, is a function of the ego. And that is what we should look at. We should look at, if you're asking that question, we should look at where do I feel that pain? Why do I feel that this rejection is a reflection of me? Where do I not feel worthy? And all this. But all of this, by the way, is done under the... Umbrella of self-compassion and analyzing and looking at yourself through the lens of compassion, saying, "Not, I shouldn't feel this way. Not, it's wrong to feel this way. It's bad to feel this way. Come on, how, you know, who cares anyway? It's wow, this is tough. This is the moment to of feeling pain. I feel this way because I wanted the relationship. This person rejected me. You know what? They Maybe they didn't think I was pretty enough, or smart enough, or good enough. That hurts. Now, how do I really feel?" Well, is that true that I'm not good enough? No, I'm a good person. Is it true that I'm not pretty enough? Maybe I don't look like this person or that person, but you know what? I've got a lot of other good qualities. And yes, an honest conversation, which goes back to self-awareness, but I I, I cannot stress enough that all of this has to happen with self-compassion. Otherwise, you're bringing the ego into the equation and it's going to be corrupted. You're not going to be able to look at it objectively, calmly, and clearly. did that effectively answer your question or, or oh, not? Perfect. Okay, let's go to the next slide question. You're on.
5: Yeah, hi. Um, hi. Hi. So my question is, um, when I'm weak or tired, or sick, or hormonal, I could get overwhelmed from head to toe with um, anger, hate, resentment. So my question is, does that is that an indication that I have those feelings festering and they surface when I'm weak? Or is it just that when I'm weak, I put on the black glasses and everything looks worse than it really is. So I should just notice the feelings and wait for it to pass. Because it happens question. quite often. Mostly every night when I'm very tired, I go to sleep too late.
2: Yeah. A b- beautiful question. You're, it's, it's because you're a human being and you're, whenever we feel tired, whenever our, we're fatigued, whenever our emotional resources are drained, you're going to find yourself much more raw, much more sensitive. You know, there, there are a few things that a good night's sleep Uh, can't fix. Um, It's been said that when someone would come to Rabbi Avigda Miller uh, with anxiety depression, he would say, get eight hours of sleep for two weeks straight, eight hours of sleep a night for two weeks straight, and then come back and see me and no one ever came back. Now, whether it was that no one could pull it off, I don't think that's the case, or whether or not they just felt differently. Uh, whenever we're drained, often when it comes to chinek and the child comes back and they're off the rails, give the kid an apple. You know, Sometimes your blood sugar is simply low. But the answer to your question is, no, it doesn't have to necessarily mean that it's festering, it's beneath the surface and you're keeping it in check. When we are uh, our, our, our emotional bandwidth is, is constricted and, and, and we're feeling a certain way, when we have that lens, as you aptly put it, that lens of negativity, we'll see things differently, we'll respond differently. It doesn't have to be a function, and if this is your question, that you were you know, able to keep it in check and suddenly you know, the reins are off and now you're, this is your real self coming through. You know, people can be, uh, their, their very core can be affected and unsettled through hormones, through lack of sleep, lack of food, blood sugar variations, things like that. It doesn't mean that it's been lurking there all along by any means.
5: Okay, thank you very much. And I have one more question. When um, Sometimes when I see someone who's successful in a way that I would want to be, I get very, I'm um, jealous and resentful. I used to deal with the way I put that person down, but by now I just acknowledge it. I wonder, it doesn't happen to everyone who's successful, only certain type of success. So I wonder, does that mean that I have the potential to be there? And I'm like, and that's why I get so triggered?
2: I, it's a good question. I don't know if you have the potential or not. It does mean that you feel you've got the potential, meaning if you're not swimming in, in, in that ocean, you're not going to measure yourself by that metric. But if you feel that you should get that, envy, and jealousy and envy are different by the way we conflate. Jealousy is, um, I, I I feel that somebody's going to take away what I have. Envy is, I want what that person has, and maybe they shouldn't have it anyway. I'm entitled to it. So, you know, like, uh, like a jealous behavior, for example, really comes from an insecurity of someone's going to take away what I have. Really, we're envious of somebody, it means we want what they have. Um, so yeah, it probably means that you feel that you can and should, and you're entitled to what it is that they have. Um, and I would say one great cure, by the way, or at least, you know, temporary fix, which which can lead to a cure, is whenever you find yourself feeling that way, give that person a bracha, that they should be continued to be matzliach, they should be well, And and just send out positive thoughts and energy, and you'll find what happens is, see, when you're envious, your your is engaged, and you move into a taking mode, right? You want what that person has. When you express gratitude, appreciation, acknowledgement, you're moving from a giving mode. So by able to give this person a bracha, give them a blessing, show appreciation and gratitude, say thank you Hashem for blessing this person, for allowing them to be matzliet, they should continue and so on. You're really you're you're taking that you're you're moving the taking into a giving and you're gonna bounce right out of that space. The more you do it, the easier it's gonna be and you'll find it's a really good way to move from being sort of absorbed in that state for for long at all as you begin to move into that giving space.
1: Beautiful. Okay, next slide question, you're on. Two more, Dr. David, and then maybe one more. And then, okay. okay. And then Come freedom. My- freedom, Karen, <laughs> oh, we need to be closing those up. My question
4: is, would you say that having good medos is means being emotionally healthy or vice versa? Because like from everything you're saying, it seems to be the same thing. But I feel like I got very different messages growing up. And like to this day, I have like two worlds. There's like my emotional health and my spiritual health, like being a good Jew and then like being me. Um, And I know it's really one, but it's just really confusing. Is
2: that what we'd right. say? It's a really sharp, great question. And it's like this, very often people will say good meat a reflection or emotional health, um, but it, it's not. Um, bad midos is a reflection of, of emotional health. It's poor emotional health, but you'll get a lot of false positives because we talked before about sort of false humility, which is really that doormat mentality. A person who puts on a show, it goes back to the, you know, the Novartics that Coach Menachem mentioned about, you know, who do you think you are, that, you know, that you're a nothing. You got to work on yourself to be a nothing. So a real honor, real humility comes from, a, or, uh, from diminishing the ego and recognizing a sense of self. If I don't have a sense of self, I can't get rid of an ego that I never had. Um, so I end up with this sort of false humility, uh, which can on the surface look like a very giving, altruistic, loving person, but inside um, they could be um, suppressing a lot of anger, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of real feelings, um, but they just don't feel able to express it. Because of their own insecurities and fears, and so on, um, or certainly childhood. So again, uh, poor metos is going to be a function of poor emotional health. But you get a lot of, you'll get false positives if you're relying on good meatos as a, a, you know, an automatic reflection of emotional health. Okay, beautiful. Is one more live? I'm mute.
1: I'm mute. I'm mute. Okay, while I'm trying to figure it out, I want to cover this question also. Let's see if if we can get to this one. Um, Basically, as a firm person, how do you navigate tension between the obligations to help others be there to care, but also to care for your own needs? So basically, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we're taught that we need to help people do chesed every opportunity Hashem gives us. At the same time, my personal life and time gets so hectic. How can I learn to balance both being there for other people and doing chesed at the same time being there for myself?
2: Good. So look, we have an obligation to, if you are know good to you, you are no know good to anyone else, right? You know, you, you make kiddush and unless you drink, it doesn't matter how much wine or grape juice you pour out to everyone else. Nobody's Yotzeh. You have to first drink from an overflowing cup and then you can give out to everyone else. So, you know, the ability to be able to respect ourselves means we invest in ourselves, we take care of ourselves, and then we do chesed. But if a person is not willing or able to invest in themselves... And is uh, doing for others at the expense of themselves, and it's not healthy or good for them. It's really not chesed. They're really robbing, they're taking from one person themselves and giving to somebody else. That's not chesed. Chesed is you're choosing to give. From a place of choice, meaning I can say yes, I can say no, we said this before and I'm choosing to say yes. If I don't think I can say no, if I, if I need to do it because I'm guilted into it, I can't stand up for myself and so on, I'm really allowing myself to be robbed. So um, it is that beautiful balance of being able to give. And we know, by the way, that if you're giving and you're feeling resentful and it's injurious to yourself, then it may not be coming from the most altruistic place. You want to be able to invest in yourself, respect yourself, and at the same time, be able to willingly give to others the simcha. And now you have that beautiful synergy of respecting yourself and respecting others. But you do one without the other. And again, you just have a function of the ego. Beautiful.
1: OK, Dr. David, last live question of the night. Then we to go to closing. You're on. OK.
13: Hello, is it my turn? Yes. Yes. OK, okay. thank you. Um, I have a very um, difficult relationship with my sister. Um, I'm in my sixties and so is she. She's seven years younger. Um, She married a non-Jew, chooses to distance from the family, claiming she had a very bad childhood. Um, And whenever she needs help, she'll call me. But then other than that, she usually berates me, calls me names, things like that. And recently, it just happened recently. Um, you know, there's a lot of demonstrations in Israel about judicial reform, So she's not, of course, secular. So she put out a comment on the sister chat or Free Sisters, um, saying that obviously the majority of people in Israel are against judicial reform. So I know you can't directly negate what she says. She gets very angry and name-calling. So I just posted um, an analysis, you know, like a, an article. Stating other other perspectives. So she got on and she said, like, first she went, oh, that's interesting. And then afterwards, she persisted in her own perspective. And then the thing is, when she talks to me, I don't feel she really hears me. I feel she just wants to press her agenda. Yes. And then so then I say to her, you know, I'm just she goes, well, what do you mean by posting this article? And I said, I'm just trying to say there are other perspectives. And then she starts going, well, I'm not gonna, you know, go on with a bunch of lush and hurrah. This one's corrupt and this one's no good. And don't you realize? And so I just said, you know, I just wanted to state that I think there's other perspectives, but I don't feel I know enough to really continue with this conversation. And then she said, I think you're cowardly. And then later she told me I'm a phony. (laughs) And then she said, what do you do with people like that?
2: Yeah, so this I look, she has to justify her entire life and lifestyle continuously. So, anytime she butts up against the reality that contradicts, that uh, interferes with her narrative, uh, it's going to be met with such force because she has to, if, if she were to rethink her entire life, she can't do that. So, she has to convince you in the expectation of convincing herself. So, the, by the way, you can tell that's a way, something I talk about in Mind Reader um is that uh you know a way you can tell just how emotionally healthy a person is is how willing and able they are to hear other points of view without getting upset by it because it comes to vulnerability in other words you're able to hear a point of view as nonsensical it may be because you're not threatened by it her entire personal narrative her life her life story her reality is threatened by um by by, by you know the introduction of these ideas so she, you will never Ever, ever, by the way, get any concession from her. Moreover, she's going to attack. If you ask me how you deal with it, I just would um, ignore it. I mean, you're never going to convince her otherwise. And she's doing this in the hopes and expectations of trying to move you, because her greatest thrill would be to get you on board to her way of thinking. You will go nowhere fast. You know that. I, I don't. I. There's. There's. You will be ineffective as you found in trying to convince her of otherwise, I would just focus on what you have in common because the more interactions you have with her like this, the more friction you create. So I'm not so sure it's productive. Yeah.
13: Mike, well, the question is, is it possible to have any kind of relationship with her? She, She like, she'll say to me, I think I should stay away from you. But then unfortunately she has asthma. When she gets really not well, she calls me because I used to be a nurse and then she'll call me and I'll call her every day to see how she's doing and I'll give her advice. And as soon as she feels better, she goes back to distance. And then if we disagree again on anything, she'll blast me and call me names.
2: Yeah, again, so unfortunately you have a, you call it a relationship, you know, she's she's using you. um, And that's, you know, I, I guess that, you know, that's something you're doing an act of chesed but it's really not a reciprocal relationship. Relationship consists of two people giving and receiving. She's incapable of being able to give. She can only take. Um, So I would say, you know, call it chesed and whatever, you know, you're able to help her, I think it's beautiful, she's your sister, Um, but you will never convince her otherwise. If you want to improve the relationship, it would be to have conversations over things that there's common ground on. That's the only way you're going to be able to avoid the friction points and move the relationship forward. And this happens, obviously, not infrequently in relationships, wherever this common ground, wherever you agree with its recipes or the weather, or politics, you know, maybe whatever you uh, both share, whatever values you both share, those are the conversations to have. Um, But anything else that's going to cause friction is going to further ingrain her own hostility towards you because of her own hostility toward herself.
7: David, that's just one more. Somebody just want to have one more question. I'm pushing it in. Okay, you're on. Thank you. Um, I have a question that um, the family culture growing up was never talking about feelings. And, and um, like we didn't have, a little, I, I didn't have a warm relationship with my parents. And I'm 30 now. And I feel like uh, also my father had a serious illness a couple of years ago. And I was scared of uh, losing the opportunity. So we got better. But how would I cultivate that at this point? Where I don't live nearby, and it's just like totally like not in the culture to talk about like personal things. How would that how would that happen?
2: Great. I'm sorry. What I, I, can you share a little bit about why why the relationship wasn't on track growing up? What what, what was going on?
7: Um, it was a kind of like uh, like hands off. Like I, I, I don't describe exactly. I wouldn't say it was so critical this stuff, but it's more like. I definitely have a lot of toxic shame. I assume it comes from the childhood. Um,
2: OK, do you recognize your parents' limitations?
7: To some extent. To the, OK.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. Continue, please.
7: Yeah, to, to whatever extent I'm able to accept, um, some degree, I, I recognize that it's not all my fault.
2: Right, so that, that, that's going to be um, where you move the needle forward. Whatever degree you recognize limitations, it's not your fault. When you recognize it's all their limitations, it was never your fault, you will have an amazing relationship with them. Again, this goes back to what we said before, taking things personally. There's nothing a child can do that would warrant whatever behavior or treatment you received. It doesn't mean your parents were bad. It means that they, lack the capacity to be able to give. It's not about pointing fingers, laying blame responsibility. It's about this is what they were capable of doing. You could have been the most idyllic child. You could have been perfect and angel done everything right. I guarantee you would have gotten the exact same treatment. When you recognize that, you will be able to engage your parents in a healthy way. The degree to which you feel that they were responsible for their actions and again, now we're talking about Bechira you know, and about responsible you know, with Hashem. We're talking about the degree to which that they were capable of choosing to treat you one way and chose to treat you another way. You're going to naturally assume that that choice was predicated in the fact of that's what your worth was, meaning you deserved it, in which case you take it personally, you have toxic shame and you're upset. However, if you recognize completely and you can do it right now, that their limitations were unequivocal, they were complete all of their behavior towards you had nothing to do with you. Again, you could have been a perfect child, you would have gotten the exact same treatment. When you recognize it was not you, it was them, now you are completely free to treat them with whatever kibbutz and respect and covet that you choose to give to them and that they rightly deserve, quite frankly, not because of how they treated you, but merely because that they are your parents. And the more you give to them, the more you invest in them, besimcha, the, the better you're going to feel about yourself, about them and about the relationship. does that make sense?
7: It makes sense. I'm just curious, like I mean, I guess you don't know them, obviously. So I don't know if you'll answer the question, but but like if I want to have a, a warm relationship and be interested in like right now, I only call like out of out of obligation like, ob- obligation, but right. I want to call out of out of you know Geschmack. And I feel like there's something that I want to like you know, feel good about the conversation. Like, it, let's say you assume that they are very limited and I, I know that my father for sure is very limited. Like, what could I expect to, to get out of it?
2: Right, again, you, you you can expect to get from a, you uh, the capacity of a person, if your expectations exceed a person's capacity, you will find yourself continually frustrated, resentful and angry, that's the recipe. If I think you can do X and you can only do Y, I'm gonna be frustrated. If you fully recognized your father's capacity, what he's able to give and do emotionally, maybe to find out more about his childhood, which, you know, no surprise, wasn't ideal. Um, you can recognize that, look, every parent is wired to connect with every child to give. I mean, it, it, it's in the So the fact he doesn't, is not because of a choice. It's because of a corruption. It's an inability to be able to do it, having zero to do with you. He desperately wants to, but he can't. If you really fully understood it was his capability, you know, you take, you know, what hangs us up in all relationships? You have a child that's not listening to you. You're going to get upset. Why is the child not listening to you? If you have a special needs child that's not listening to you. It's like, oh, okay. He's not not listening to me. He doesn't respect me, care about me. This is a child's limitations. So much to the same way with an emotional and mental limitation with your parents, if you fully recognize it was their limitation has zero to do with you, you will be free to have a kishmak, as you say conversation. But as long as you're harboring uh, ill will and, and resentment because they're not giving to you what you feel you deserve because they're choosing to hold back, you will find yourself being limited in your ability to express and to give fully but you can do so with when you're able to recognize that their inability to give is not a choice it's a limited capacity that is forcing them to restrict their giving to you what you no doubt obviously want and deserve okay
1: beautiful that david let's go to closing now so much more to go but so, Eric everybody's, everybody's tired. Okay, so first of all, big ask Dr. David Lieberman, for coming on tonight and giving tremendous chizek and really clarifying the whole ego conversation, which went in a lot of different ways tonight. Very interesting. And um, again, I hope we knocked you out tonight. Um, again, anybody wants to receive, receive Dr. Lieberman's free ebook from Real Power, you can text 848 288 8185. Text the word join, and he will send you the information. Anybody who has a lot of questions, you can email. Sam Gold at live.com with your question, your name, and your address. We'll send you the book, one of those books with Shem. Um, if anybody wants to join our WhatsApp chats, please WhatsApp me at 848 525 and save my number. Uh, I'll send you every Sunday the flyer for the share that Sunday. If anyone wants to get the email, you go to monotonbernaval.com. Uh, every Sunday, he sends out the emails with the speakers and the recaps and everything. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 930, this is my D. We have different important topics, different shiurim, bravonim, therapists. The best of the best, the Meshem after the Pesach. We're not sure if it's going to be April 16th because it's closed that Sunday. we be the following Sunday, the 23rd. We have a whole lineup, Rabbi YY, Reverend Joey Haver, Rabbi Yossi Zakatinsky. They're all coming up in the, those few weeks. So please join us. They're all going to be powerful shooting like they all are. And everything is recorded on will be on MenachemBurnfield.com. If anybody has any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Dr. Lieberman, I'm going to email you also. You can put it on tour anytime. You can check out this share later on tour anytime he uploads it. Again, tonight's share is 139. Um, if you want to do it on the phone, we have a phone number, 848 777 GROW. That's 848 777 GROW. Dr. David, some people texting how to get a hold of you, reach you. You have an email, anything, any, somebody wants to get a hold of you, has a question or anything.
2: What's yeah, so my, my, my practice is full, so I I just don't want to give anyone the the, the, the uh, otherwise impression. Um, so, you know, uh, actually, I, I do plan on starting. A lecture series in Lakewood, which i done some time ago, back up again after Pesach, so they can certainly reach out um, to that same Sam Gold, uh, my, my assistant's uh, email, and um, we can get them some information on when we'll be starting that up again, if that's... Okay.
1: Uh, Great, so anybody wants to get in touch, just email samgold at live.com. Uh, again, a special thank you to the advertising sponsor Lakewood Scoop, Ellie Nario from Five Town Central, Kyle Kaufman from JCN, and uh, we're gonna go to closing now, Dr. Lieberman. I hope we knock you out more this time than last time. I hope you're like...
2: <laughs> you like. You you know what? Uh, sure, Coach. One second. One, right? second, one
1: second. We're gonna yeah, do sir. closing. Menachem's gonna go first. We're gonna wrap it up, and then okay. I want you to leave with the closing. Everything we spoke about in the last two and a half hours. To recap it and throw it all in one punch. Getting ready for us. Coach Menachem, go first, please.
0: First of all, Dr. David, I really thank you very much. And um, the questions tonight, the vulnerability, the real, real questions. And, in, and a lot of it we discussed was chinuch, just to see how we grew up, what what happens to us, and what we can give to our kids, talking about the self-compassion, to, to be able to validate whatever they feel, whether you think it's right or not, just to be able to be there for them and to validate their feelings so that when they grow up, they can have a healthy sense of self, which we were discussing, so they don't have to hide or you know not be the real self and uh yeah it's really amazing and again like we heard it is a, sometimes a process we are human and we, ought, we, we all want to be by the acceptance already accept everything and nothing should bother us I'm, I'm totally okay but it could be that's part of denial so it can be part of that process and to uh, to have some self-compassion when you talk to yourself, it's okay, no matter where you are, no matter what you feel, this is how you feel. And it might be hard and that's okay. So thank you very much. And with this, we should be able to go to Cherus and mitzvah We which will be in Yerushalayim this year, Mitz Hashem. Amen,
2: amen. David, let's go. Okay, amen. so first Asher and Coach Menachem, you guys are fantastic. You really love for an opportunity, a platform to be able to bring out some very important ideas. And a big thank you to everybody, your, your questions, interactivity, the real honesty, the vulnerability, uh, the, the, the truth in your questions is, is magnificent. And you know sometimes it's a lot easier to see ourselves through the lens of somebody else because if we speak about the ego, it's not engaged. I don't have to get defensive, you're not talking about me. So the platform, the ability to, to, to have people ask questions and to see ourselves in those questions Uh, And to be able to hear it without that shield up is just so invaluable and and so precious and, and, and such a beautiful opportunity. Ultimately, as we mentioned, that the Zman of Pesach is an opportunity for us to be able to deflate the ego, to diminish that false sense of self. And that's what it is. The more we are honest with ourselves, with other people, the more we can admit fault, accept criticism, accept blame and responsibility where it belongs the more we can judge favorably, look at the good, appreciate the good, focus on the good, the more we deflate the ego. So this is an opportunity for us to be able to be real honest with ourselves, with other people. And ultimately the quality of our lives will come down to the quality of our choices and the ability to be able to accept responsibility for who we are, what we are, where we are, right here and right now. As Coach Menachem said, we spoke about with compassion and validate our experience. You don't have to judge it. You don't have to condemn it. You don't have to say you're good or bad for thinking this way. This is how you feel and that's okay. That's the swiftest, uh, most effective way to move forward to self-acceptance and from self-acceptance comes self-esteem because I'm not gonna move forward unless I accept and acknowledge who I am, where I am right here, right now. So the opportunity to be able to deflate the ego comes down to the quality of our choices. Choose responsibly, choose what's good, whether it feels good or looks good or whether it is good. That's going to determine that 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 that, that choice, whether we choose to do what is good, feels good or looks good, will determine the quality of our lives. The more we choose to do what is good, even though it doesn't feel good or look good, the more we're going to infuse ourselves with a sense of self respect and self esteem, deflate the ego, and open ourselves up to a world of opportunity, to better relationships and better emotional health.
1: Beautiful. I want to wish you yeah. a happy Pesach. Be shine through your real self. Get rid of your egos. Working on it. And Coach Manachem, go <laughs> ahead. Take care. Good night,
2: everybody. Great night. Good night. Good night.
0: Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. It will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.